Good thing, too. Indeed. That means two things. As ever, it's DM Mike with DM Jim. Greetings, podcasters. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, he actually had to rehearse that with me. (laughs) Hey, it's all about the rehearsal. Hey, better to rehearse than to do go on the fly and totally ruin something. Isn't that right, DM Liz? That's exactly right, and I should know because I do it all the time. <laughs> and there's that hamburger-eating guy over there. What's your name again? I would gladly pay you Tuesday. For <laughs> <laughs> hamburger on Friday. <laughs> yes, yes, it's me. Hi, folks. It's DM Glenn. I'm not only a player of D&D, I'm an idiot. But <laughs> <laughs> Andy's a client. Yeah. <laughs> I- I understand nine out of ten DMs recommend hamburgers for their players who eat hamburgers. Mm. <laughs> what does the tenth one recommend? Uh, uh, pizza. 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 Oh, okay. No, nine out of ten people are wrong. No. <clears throat> Spoken like a DM. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> All right, so we got it's time, for, as usual, for Glenn's favorite part of the show. What have we been doing this since the last show, Jim? Oh, start with me. Um, well, the uh, Skype Basic Expert D&D game with my podcast mates, which is awesome. Uh, since I've been running a cleric on duty, not a single player character death. Just thought that's worth mentioning. Yeah, I wish I would have been there. Wait a minute. As opposed to the first game. <laughs> and uh, Jim's uh, half our party. <laughs> But uh, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, my regular Dungeon Crawl Classics uh, campaign at my friendly local game store, and uh, I've started a top-secret project where I'm writing a Dungeon Crawl Classics adventure I'm going to pitch to the company. Hmm. Well, if it's top-secret, maybe you shouldn't have mentioned it to us. Oh, I, I'm not going <laughs> to. It's not top, top-secret. It's just top Oops. Secret-ish. Ah. Okay. Oh, wait. Are we recording? Yeah. <laughs> no, this is a rehearsal. No. We are re exactly. We are rehearsing. Yeah, that's it. So say whatever you want. Oh well that's what I've been doing in gaming. I I think the DM in our Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign is listening to the podcast and I just want to let him know that I've reread the rules and he's screwing us on XP. You, we should you don't like your you don't like your character anymore, do you? No, 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 no. We've just character been trying to go through that. this. We're, we're five sessions into this character funnel, and we just keep dying. And I've reread the rules, and we should all be first level now, and we shouldn't be dying like we are. That's all. Nothing to do is with there, Casey. Is there anyone left in your little town? 
<laughs> he said the population was 300, and our character death total as of the last session was 37. Mm. So we've we've 10%. We've We've taken out 10%, and he's actually making us role-play that, where now we're going back to town with new characters looking for supplies, and there's nobody left who makes rope anymore. All the, <laughs> all the hemp guys are dead. We killed them. Yeah, they all hung themselves. Stuff like that. Yes, the, the correct answer for the or reply for a DM when you point that out to him should be, how many hit points did your character have, Jim? <laughs> what level was your character? No, he, he was zero. <laughs> you can't be less than zero level. Yes. Oh, yes, you can. Well, in one E, anyway. Wait a minute. Hemp, no hemp ropes? That means they've been smoking all of it. No, no. no. I, then you, you get all the silk ropes, see? Ah. He's, made, he's made an honest mistake because as a group, we thought we were playing by the rules correctly, and I've discovered that we haven't. So I will tactfully and diplomatically suggest, you know, hey, look right here. And don't listen to the podcast. See that? <laughs> well, what have you been up to, Glenn? Well, I got stuff. <clears throat> not in, not in more of like gaming stuff, but more like um, real world things I can actually use stuff ah. like a new computer. Right. Yes. Well, that affects your gaming, so. Well, it's, it's true, true. Otherwise, yeah, and I couldn't do the podcast without it. Um, yeah. Or the Skype <clears throat> game. My wife surprised me last week with a 23-inch... Pavilion 23 HP all-in-one computer. Um, I, lo- I love it, but she was bummed because it doesn't have a touch screen. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, look, you know how many times I've told the grandkids to keep their damn fingers <laughs> off the screen? I don't like cleaning it, so I don't care. I, it came preloaded with Windows 8. That may be a detriment to me in the future. Good luck mm. with that. Yeah, that's what I hear. Hope you have better luck with an HP than I've ever had. How come, how come I only get computers with, like, every other... It, it turns out Windows versions are like Star Trek movies. Oh, you're right. You know, yeah. uh, like, the last one I had had Vista on it. I missed seven, and I got eight. <laughs> and before Vista was XP, which worked, and before it was Millennium Edition, which didn't. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, <laughs> and before that was Star Trek: The Motion Picture. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I started that was Star the worst Trek: The Motion of all. What? Miss Piggy in space. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so gaming, uh, gaming wise, and we played. We're probably going to be playing a little Champions later. So uh, that's about. Yeah, our, I'm on the off week for our. our uh, oh, our uh, our basic game. Ooh, fun fun times. We are playtesting Thorky's um, Revenge of the Giants. Okay. And we're having a ball. Cool. And we killed the Cyclops. In fact, the, fir- the first uh, half of the session was just getting us up in level. Uh, first thing we had to do since we're using weapons mastery is Ooh. to get a little more trained. So now I do a D12 plus one plus three versus undead and, dra- and dragons, which is nice, instead of D8. And... <clears throat> Then we, uh, the king comes to us and said, oh, the giants are on the uprise. They got something in there. You know, they got this god making like magical armor and weapons for them. Go find out what's going on. Blah, 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 blah. And so his priest comes in and says, okay, you need help. So they do the ceremony to Odin. And all of a sudden we get a flat. Everybody, he says, whatever, we said, whatever XP score you have, disregard it. Everybody has a flat 750,000 XP. Okay. Wait, what? 
Yeah. And so so my character, an elf, went to 10th level. Gage's character, a fighter, went to 13th level. Can you get that high in RC as an elf? (laughs) That's the trouble. We've got like three elves in the party, and we all maxed. Ah, okay. And also, Gage maxed kind of too, because, you know, once they hit name level... You know, you don't get as much. You don't you like like what two hit points after every level above ninth, something like so that. So these are the regular <clears throat> campaign characters. Yes, they are. And they're, I guess they're going to. Ah, so I guess if y'all get through the module, it'll all get sucked away at the end. It better not. I bet it will. No, 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 no. And also, elves can only have uh, up to fifth level spells. So, yeah. <clears throat> but what we got, boy, we do have one a couple of good clerics, and I kept going, get cure all. You're high enough level. Get cure all. Um, but we're doing stuff like we killed a Cyclops, first off, in a cave, in the complex. And he had 50,000 gold there. There was no way in hell. Oh, and each of us got from the king a portable hole, uh, portable hole, right, a bag of holding. Good Lord. Each of you? 50,000. I mean, you're going to have to make three trips out of here. So we all backed out of the room. One of the mage did wall of stone. Okay, we've got our own little private um, treasure room. Did you say Jim Ward was the DM of this game? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you, one, one, of the, one of the guys, like uh, our friend Brad, he really likes that uh, Phantasmal Force. Boy, he likes that. He took out four giants with that. Mm. Wow. He just That's... gets crazy with it. But we're, well, I guess if y'all are having fun. <laughs> I never played this. I, I rarely play this high, and... Fortunately, we're playing smart. We're not letting it get, go to our head. We're just trying to play smart because this is basically, even Matt came out and said, look, this isn't a hack and slash. This is kind of a recon. So we have to play it smart. We have to sneak around yeah. and find out what's going on. Dude, I'm, I'm walking around with a uh, squire with three, a peasant squire with three hit points, and you're getting 750,000 XP. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I'm doing something wrong. We've got to have we've got to have Matt on this show, just just to just to answer Jim. <laughs> I, I would be interested in hearing the answer myself. Okay. Uh, well, Liz, what have you been up to? Yeah, what have you been up to? Well, we've been part of the same Skype game that Jim and Glenn are part of, and as Jim says, he's been doing excellent work as a cleric. None of us have died since he's been on the job. <laughs> Um, despite our best attempts otherwise. Despite our best attempts otherwise, yes. Son, you're due for a raise soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's really our only basic playing that I've been a part of. We've got our weekly 2E game that we had to even miss that last week because we had to go out of town for some business with Mike's work at the college. And, and I get back here, and I gotta go again this coming weekend. But we are going to make this week's game at least the first half, so we're not totally missing out two weeks in a row. Um, but and I think yeah. I found somebody who hates gnomes more than me. Wow! Apparently, a new girl joined the group. Right? Was her name Rachel? Uh, that's what Tim said. He thought her name was. Yeah, she played a gnome and Meads. Got a good ranger. Shoved her into well. A, an empty fell, well. An empty well where she fell to her death. 
See, this is why in Dragonlance they invented the Kender to take the heat off the gnomes. <laughs> Make so, the gnomes look good. Was it just uh, was it a neo-Nazi parade game, or did he just decide <laughs> he needed to go down the well? I don't. We're no, not sure. We're just hearing this secondhand, so. So yeah, we're we're not really sure what led up to that. Was you know someone just having a bad day? We don't know. Um, I'm very curious to hear how a chaotic good ranger could murder a gnome, but okay, it's pretty interesting to hear. We're doing we're doing a Lyman variation paladin. <laughs> oh, ranger! Mm. I'm sorry, never mind. Anyway, um, how about you, Mike? Well, pretty much the same thing, except that I've gotten 98% of the Labyrinth of Mists module for the North Texas RPG Con I need to send off next week to Bad Mike and Doug. Are you going to run your module, Mike? No. I oh. don't have time. And my friend from New York and his brother from Illinois are flying down, so we're kind of trying to maximize our time to... Game together and stuff. And I believe your brother's running a battle tech too. What? Is it your brother that's running a the no, second battle? No, no. Ben is my friend from New York. Oh, your friend is he running the battle tech game? The other battle tech game? Uh, he's running the actual miniatures and combat part of it. I'm running the role playing part of it. Yeah, you'll be there for five minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> half an hour. Anyway, so yeah, that's what we've been doing. Ah, and but- now. We are going to go to emails, rather voicemails. Yes. But first, we're going to have another installment from T-Man in his segment, as it seems to be. And here he is. Wonders that defy my powers of description, the secrets that are mine alone, but which I would be willing to share with you. To do then now would be retro. To do then then was very nautro. If you will. It's coming. What? The idea. The spark. I got it. I got it. Basic impressions. Hi, this is T-Man calling in, and I thought that I might take a few minutes to respond to something I heard on your recent email show. On that show, you were talking about how um, the old box sets, especially basic D&D, uh, was sort of always looked down on, especially in the 80s, that it was just the stepping stone to the more advanced version of Dungeons & Dragons. So what I thought I might do is take a few minutes to talk about how I really think that basic D&D and the box sets were um, a little bit more than just a stepping stone, how they've really had a lot longer-term influence, maybe than a lot of people have thought about before. You know, that it was really more than just an introductory game. Um, so some things that seemed to happen were that this game took on a life of its own um, throughout the 80s. Sure, there was... Um, the advanced version, but basic really developed into its own, uh, through the expert and then later through Frank Metzer's, um, basic expert companion, uh, master and immortals. So the first expansion was Moldvay's expansion, um, in expert where it went all the way up to levels 14 and then on with, um, the Beckme, um, to all the way to level 36. And then of course later it culminated in the rules compendium, um, which I believe was compiled by Aaron Alston. And I think that the influence of BASIC also extended to the rest of TSSR's, or excuse me, TSR's line at the time, um, including AD&D and some other games. For example, if you look at Star Frontiers, I think this was really very much influenced by BASIC. 
Star Frontiers had its basic sets, the Alpha Dawn set, and then had its more advanced set where they started to include um, spaceships and starship combat, uh, the Nighthawk set. And then I know that um, in second edition, there was a box set called uh, First Quest, which was really an excellent starter box set. If anybody out there can get their hands on this um, through the net, it really is a nice set. And uh, it's a lot like basic D&D, except that it doesn't give character creation rules. But it has great maps, and it gives, I believe, four adventures. And anything in there is very easily adapted, even if you play classic or basic D&D. I also think that this influence expanded even to the later editions of the game. Uh, both Pathfinder and 4 edition had starter, se- um, starter sets. Uh, I know you can buy starter sets for different Hero Clicks games as well. So I suspect that some of that has to do with the success of the earlier box sets. And of course, then we get into the OSR, the old school revival, where you have Swords and Wizardry, definitely influenced from original D&D, uh, Labyrinth Lord, which is certainly a clone of Moldvay Cook, uh, Mazes and Perils, which is a clone of Holmes, and even Castles and Crusades, which is definitely, I think, influenced by the um, stripped-down design of uh, bas- basic and classic D&D. I think in a lot of ways, even from what I've seen of the playtest material for D&D Next, um, there is still some influence from classic D&D. The playtest material is really striving to be simpler uh, than maybe what was seen in later editions, like 3rd um, edition and 4th um, edition. And even in the development article, one that I happen to see online promised that even the D&D Next would have a basic, a standard, and advanced options. So you might be able to play it uh, more like classic D&D as well. Now, I don't know how much of that will actually happen and how much of the complications um, WotC will be able to strip out of that. But nonetheless, I think we still see that basic D&D is casting a very long shadow even today into 2012-2013. So for a little game that kind of started out as a starter set, it seems like it's um, maybe more than that because it's alive and well after 30 years. It's inspiring clones, and it seems to be even influencing the next major iteration of D&D. So, you know, hopefully nobody's looking down too much on those of us who think pretty highly of um, classic Dungeons and Dragons. And I just want to thank everybody for listening. Take care. Well, thanks, Demon. And I'd like to reiterate, if anyone else would like to send in an MP3 or record something to be put on for basic impressions, by all means, send them on. I mean, I like Demon's stuff, but so far it's a one-man show. Yeah, he's all, I, he might be getting his own bumper. <laughs> so we know you're listening out there, and we know you have an axe to grind. Mm. Well, as far as the basic thing, I would even go so far as to say the original Star Frontiers had a basic and advanced books in the box set. It did, but you didn't need the and to uh, um, role play. What? I said you didn't need the advanced to just role play. I thought the advanced was mostly tactical stuff for starships. No, that was Nighthawks. That was a separate box. Set. That's what I mean. That's what I'm saying. I mean, no, no. The original Star Frontiers had a basic book and an advanced book in that one box. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of the, the second edition that they did. That's yeah, he what he was talking about with Alpha Dawn, I guess. But no, the exactly. first Star yeah. Frontiers had a, both a basic and an advanced books in there. I have this on my hard drive. I should know this. Which. Which, again, you know, I think I've mentioned on the show before, back in the 70s and even 60s, it was common for war games 
to have a basic and advanced set of rules in them. Right. Board war games and to a lesser extent miniature war games. Right. So it's really just kind of an outgrowth. Even OD&D with the supplements was kind of that thing. Here are some more advanced rules to use with your game. Yeah. Yeah. Even if some of us thought that Greyhawk actually made it easier. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's certainly a a long pedigree of basic and advanced. Oh yeah, it worked its way into everything. Mm. I I don't know if Tiemann was thinking about this, but part of what he's getting at, uh, knowingly or unknowingly, is it's always cyclic. There's this tension between uh, basic rules and then more complex rules, and then let's go back to basic rules, and then let's go back, let's let's build onto that. I think that that Mm. that tension's always going to be there, though. Yeah, you've got the fans who demand more rules, more realism, more things covered, and then it reaches this massive size. I mean, that happened in war games during the 70s with Avalon Hill and SPI, the monster games. And, you know, some of them were interesting, but, you know, any game whose average playing time is 24 to 36 hours, I don't want to play. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it... Yeah, the basic, and I, I like to think that the basic advanced uh, tension or whatever you want to call it there does some good for role playing. Because there's always going to be, because you can, you can, you know, it's something for everybody. Well, what's cool about it now is we live in the best of all possible times right this minute now because you can have, however you want it, you can have it your way, like Burger King. Yeah. Uh, well. Yeah. Thanks to the internet and to yeah. self publishing and the OGL. You've got piles of stuff in there. Although his comment about castles and crusades made me chuckle a bit. because, really? Yeah, when C&C first came out, a lot of the uber one grogs hated it because they said it was too much like basic. Uh-huh. And the uber classic guys were upset because they felt it was too much like AD&D. Right, right. Too much like 3E. That's, well, that was a whole different group. That wasn't yeah. the classic guys. True. Um, True. I thought about going back to CNC, but once I hit the OSR, that was it. Yeah. I, I think, you know, that we all have to remember the CNC was the first one. It predates Osric. It was the first True. attempt to try to do something that was close. Right. And from that point onward, every other version got a little closer. A little I mean, closer. I, bought the, I bought the original core book. And I wanted mm-hmm. to play it. I couldn't get anybody to play it. But then I realized afterwards in the OSR, it's like, okay, I wanted that because I was trying to fill a need in me for mm-hmm. gaming and found out, well, going back to the old games was a better way to do it. Well, for, for me, it's easier okay. to do that now than it was, say, 10 years ago. 10 years ago, this is it, true. it was really hard to find people who are willing to play an old game. Or even, you know, stuff like Labyrinth Lord or something. You know, it's like, well, what is it? Well, it's a redo of this game. Oh, well, that's it. Oh. Then you got these old grogs who are like one step away from the the TSR group. You know, one or two steps away who've been running since, you know, God made dice. And uh, saying, well, we never had a problem with it. We've just been running our campaigns. Well, yeah, because you never stopped. Well, and if you have a small group of regular players that hang around in your area, right. that's great. I mean, that's the class. We're so much more mobile now as a society yeah. than we that were That was a class definition of they were OSR when OSR wasn't cool. Mm. They didn't really care either. 
We're really lucky here in Cincinnati because the guy that uh, Todd Bunn that runs uh, Gateway Games, he he just keeps the gaming area in his store. He's trained a bunch of, uh, I mean, to me, they're kids. I don't mean they're kids though. They're like teenagers and in their twenties, and they'll play anything. They they play they play Pathfinder one night, Pathfinder Society one night, and uh, Basic D and D the next night, and it's the same crew. Well, that I'm glad to hear because that is that. You know, you want to talk about being old school. That's really how it was back in the late 70s and 80s. You know, we would play anything, maybe not regularly, but we were always willing, oh, a new game, we'll give it a try. I'm a, I was finicky. We played gangbusters, God help us. <laughs> I admire you. I've been dying to play gangbusters ever since a kid. I played Time Ship from Yaquinto Games, quite possibly Uh-oh. the worst role-playing game. No, no. It's one of those you know it's bad because when you open the box – the pack of character sheets is bigger than the, the rule book. <laughs> now, now watch. We're going to be inundated with emails by timeship enthusiasts. I hope so. What Please. the hell you're because talking I've never about. met another person who's played it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was a great concept, but... Jim, uh, why didn't you tell me you played gangbusters before? Uh, I guess it just didn't come up naturally. Yeah, conversation. When, when, when we were that age, whatever. Wasn't on your resume, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> we just, you know, we were young and we just did what we were told, you know. And Holmes, it said, okay, now play AD and D. So that's what we did. And anything TSR published, we bought it and played it at least once. Oh, okay, but I mean, and I, champions. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, my group. Like I said, I got into gaming later, like twenty-two. So my whole. My whole teen years and stuff. Ooh, what's that? You know, so you didn't start at four like some people. Oh no no no! I'm trying to correct uh, that with my okay. grandson, but no no, I didn't I didn't hook up until my my first wife found a group at the local community college who played D and D, and then I got hooked in. I got into first edition. Mm. So, you know, I came at it later, and when Gangbusters came out, my groups that I was with, I don't know, maybe it's the Bay Area or something, but they get, like, in a rut. They get set in their ways. It's like, I've played 12, you know why I played 12 Years of Champions? Because they hardly didn't want to try anything else, unless Mark, our main DM, wanted to try it. Well, you see, that, I think, was part of the problem. In, in my group back in Mississippi... We all DM something at one time or another. Maybe not D and D. Sometimes we'd try other games, but yeah, the, the guy in charge of the game constantly fluctuated. Yeah, but, I mean that's, yeah. that was it was the same thing for us, Mike. What would happen is, uh, you know, my brother ran AD and D, and he just get tuckered out after a year or two of it. So right. I'd run Gamma World, and then we'd hand it off to somebody else to run Boot Hill for a while. Right, mm-hmm. but I, but I, uh, you know, he played. We played three things pretty regularly: champions. Uh, some 1E and Warhammer Fantasy role play. Now they play outside of the group. I wasn't with the group when they were doing the tactical stuff because they liked like Starfleet battles and Warhammer, you know, tactical and all that kind of stuff and 40K. But I mean, as far as role playing, those were the three we pretty much played. Every time I tried to go, hey, look guys, why don't we try, nah, we don't, why don't we just play some champions? Um, there are some people like that. Anyway, yeah, let's get back on on, ta- on task here and get to Why? a voicemail that you're familiar with, Glenn. Uh, yeah. 
Hey guys, this is Glenn's DM Matt. Uh, he had asked me last session that I call and leave a voicemail for the show to clarify some emails I'd sent, so here we are. Um, I emailed them all back after listening to the episode where y'all were talking about ability score adjustments. Um, I had come to the conclusion that it would have been a Holmes invention because I didn't see it in OD&D. Uh, then, about a week or so later, I heard the email you guys read uh, on the air or that uh, points out the adjustments uh, are in OD&D, so I emailed you guys back to disregard. Uh, well, actually, I started thinking about it, and I've come back to the conclusion that ability adjustments as we know them, uh, so like uh, two for one, you can only lower the first three, um, and uh, you get full abilities uh, or full stats from uh, raising each ability, um, it, it has to be a Holmes invention, because uh, in the OD&D books, it specifically says that your ability score adjustments are for XP purposes only. So let's say you roll a character uh, that has a 12 strength and an 18 intelligence, but you want to make him a fighter. Now, you could lower your intelligence to a 10, bring your strength up to a 16, uh, but it wouldn't give you the full benefits of having a high strength. Like, you wouldn't get your hit bonus and all that. It would only allow you to get your XP adjustment for having uh, a, a properly statted prime requisite as a fighter. Uh, but anyway, so that's my two copper coins. Uh, you guys take care, and I will be meeting you in person in North Texas. So you told your DM to call in. Yep, that was that was DM seven hundred fifty thousand experience points map. <laughs> so you're saying if we kill him, he's worth seven hundred and fifty thousand? No, I'm not. Points? <laughs> Wow. That's all I needed to hear. I just just, tried to clarify. Now now all I need is an address and a phone number. And Jim, no, you got to get, and once you're high enough level as a cleric, you can resurrect him and we can kill him again. (laughs) But your honor, he was worth 750,000 XPs. I want to say. Acquittal. (laughs) You're free to go. Something without being a suck up. He runs one of the best D&D games I've ever played. Okay. So. I just want to say that. Take it for what it's worth. I mean, I know I'm biased, but... Well, from what he said, um, I think he's definitely got a point that, you know, that is a certainly a valid interpretation. I mean, that's not how I've heard it in practice, but he's right. That's how it reads. Yeah. You know, for XP purposes only. And what else could that mean but the, you know, the prime... Requisite bonus. Right, just so, so you can get that extra 10% or whatever. 10% or whatever, yeah. yeah. The only nitpick I have is when you're talking the little brown books, it says repeatedly, these are guidelines, do what you want. Right. Right. But I mean, but if you're getting, you know, if you're But you got to know what it means book, first before you decide whether or not to change it. you got to know the rule before you bend or break it. Right. I suppose. Or it's a good idea anyway. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. Oh, let's just be like... Wait, if you can understand the rule in the first place from the brown... Let's let's just pretend we're Ken St. Andre and just throw the whole thing out and make something new. So, Well, I, I just said what I said because I'm not one for I, edition wars and quibbling over an exact rule. I understand. Neither am I. Technically. Well, I do think it's easier to keep track of doing it by not only do you get the XP per, bonus 
but you also get the added stuff because otherwise you're having to make little notes and remember, well, even though I have a strength of 16, I don't get the bonus that I would normally get. I have to remember that I only get this instead. And if it's across the board, then it's less you have to keep track of. So I think for gameplay purposes, it was, it was a good thing for the rule to, you know, go the way it did. <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those things probably like the caller or, you know, the DM rolls everything. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, it's, that was the idea at the beginning, but it, you know. Was that still way. in Holmes? Um, the caller, yes. definitely still in Holmes. Mm-hmm. Um, DM rolling for thief skills and things like that, um, I believe, was also still in Holmes, too. Now, that Matt does. Mm-hmm. Uh, for thieves and such. Well, I was thinking some of the original stuff, like rolling your saving throws and that sort of thing. And ah, just, I see. What eh, you're no. Well, actually, he doesn't roll it. He has you roll it, and then he, based on, you know, he, you know what she has, and he, he basically says either you made it or you don't, and you never know if he's telling the truth or not. But that's mm-hmm. the DM's job, isn't it? So. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, you know, he's putting in the, the modifications, situational right. modifications, so right. you know, who knows what it is. So it's like you could be right, but there's like a percentage chance you could be wrong, and that keeps changing. So, well, Thanks like for that. calling in. Thanks, Matt. Uh, and yeah, we'll Matt. see you next game. Yeah. And before we start getting on the show itself, I'd just like to remind everybody about our competition for iTunes reviews. Oh, yeah. Love to have some more reviews. Um, five star, of course, is great, but you don't have to give us five stars to be entered in the contest. All you need to do is just make us laugh. Yes. Say something funny and try, of course, to leave it, make it truthful or at least relatively truthful. Man, I'm a tough nut to crack boy, so. And as prizes, we've got, uh, Creaser Crucible, Tales of the Wee Folk. And the original D&D Dungeon Geomorph set. First place gets the first choice. Second place gets what's left over. That's right. So. Oh, and I also want to put out a reminder. Now, I'm going to try and get this show out in a timely manner, but it's going to be a little dated anyway. So, to reminder of all the people who are going to the North Texas RPG Con, be there midnight Sunday if you want to get into games. Yeah. For some reason, they do it Monday morning at 12.01 a.m. Yep. So oh, is, that, is that this weekend? Yeah, this Sunday. Oh, I better get my dice back together then. It's like, you know, 11.59 on the 14th, you better be ready. And then have to constantly reload the page because there's so many people on there that the yeah. site is crashing. Yeah, watch, them, watch their servers. Again. Watch their servers go down, yeah. Yeah. Um, all I can, to me, all I care, the only one I've, that's all I want to be, get a lock on is Bad Mike's B1 game. Cause yeah, I, I me play too. That, I well, play that every year. Well, it looks like not only will I be there, but so will Ben and Jared, uh, my two friends, my friend and his brother coming up from out of town. So, And Ben's already planning on bringing some Southern comfort to the game. So. Oh, good. So <laughs> if, I if we can't sign him in... We're we're hoping that Bad Mike will look the other way and allow him and his Southern comfort to join everyone at the table. 
Well, I will, right. volu- I will volunteer my services to be a designated dice roller if anybody needs it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I really wish both Mike and I got new computers. I really wish I could take this computer there and hook us up so we could do sod live there, but I still don't know what the hell I'm doing as far as <laughs> audio goes. Oh, It'll happen one day. I mean, one all, day. all, all Dude, four of us are here. Are going to be there? What? I, let's do it. I'll bring my MacBook Pro. Uh, you know how to do that? I'll. I have plenty of time to figure it out. Good, because I'm totally clueless. Excellent. I'm, I'm going to bring. My, we will delegate you, Jim, to handling that. Woo-hoo. I was going to bring my HP and my uh, my other hard drive so we could sit around in the room watching Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> <laughs> If we did the Dungeon and Dragons movie, that would be awesome. Um, I, I got, I got it on the hard drive. That would, that would, yeah, that would be great if they did the Dungeons. They never did the Dungeons and Dragons movie, Rift Tracks, or any of them. That'd have been great. I think Jim was saying it would be cool if we did it. Yeah, that would be cool. But Save or Die presents the D and D movie. Well, if we did it live there, we wouldn't get a chance. We'd be drowned out by all the other snide comments everybody makes. Yeah, we'd have to do it in one of our rooms. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody could hear anything. Yeah, something like that. All right. Well, this episode we are talking about role playing in particular. Jim, this was your idea. What did you have in mind when you suggested these notes? I, uh, this came to me, uh, having just finished up John Peterson's Playing at the World and getting a very dense, deep, and long look at the whole evolution of the Dungeon and Dragons game. And obviously a component of that was the role-playing aspect of it, which from reading his book sounds like it just kind of happened, spontaneous combustion. They didn't know they were inventing a new game genre when they invented it. And on that subject, let's move into Game On. Role-playing game on, apparently. Yep. Dum, bum, bum. The idea of role-playing. It is an odd thing that started out. It kind of slipped into things from everything I've heard. I mean, it, it... And when you think about it, to a degree, when you play war games, especially miniature war games, generally, you know, you're, you have a general figure, and you kind of identify that when you're playing a war game. Yeah. But then once you actually get to a skirmish game um, where each figure is just one person rather than normal miniature wargaming where each figure is like 10 to 20, 20 soldiers, yeah, it's very easy to identify with a particular figure. That's almost exactly what John Peterson said in the book Playing at the World. He's like, you know, there were really? – uh, okay. You know, starting with, you know, you're the, you're the car in Monopoly making zoom zoom noises up through risk and, uh, <laughs> di- <laughs> and diplomacy. He said that when the, those guys in Milwaukee and, uh, Blake oh, Geneva wow. were playing diplomacy, they, uh, would very much start to get into the roles and then they're doing chain mail. And then when that hero figure and that wizard figure started happening, that's, he, he pinpointed that as the moment when role playing started to become a thing. Yeah. Save or Die does not recommend the playing of the board game Diplomacy without suitable Kevlar armor. Although, if you, if you put role-playing into Battleship, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was G4. apparently a very popular idea. <laughs> G4, he hit us in the stern, sir! <laughs> glub, glub, glub. 
Yeah. Well, you know, Gary and Dave were uh, right and don't sink the ship during all this. Yeah, I I want to turn. Oh, yeah. I want to turn battleship into Das Boot. Yeah, don't don't give up the ship. I'd love to have a copy of those rules. Those are cool. Or I've heard everything I've heard of them anyway. Yep. But yeah, I mean, Gary had been writing war games. He wrote Alexander the Great for Avalon Hill, I think, like in '69 or '70, 1970. Um, they were both in the war game hobby, and then right. putting out chainmail and the whole man-to-man combat thing. So, what do early D and D editions have to say on role playing? I think the Brown books were going role playing. What? Well, we're just playing characters so you can beat each well, other. Well, it doesn't say so on the box. I mean, on the box, it says fantasy wargaming. Yeah, exactly. Um, the idea of role-playing really didn't occur. That's right. I mean, if you're using part chain mail and part something else with it, you know what I'm saying? Survival. Yeah, survival. So, yeah, it's, they just saw this as an extension of the wargaming. Right. They had a figure, and they gave him a name. Yeah. Uh, he had stats and stuff, but it was just a figure. Right. In fact, I wonder if you could say something similar about hero clicks. That's possible. I mean... A circle. <laughs> yeah. They're on a stand. You can move. Well, what I find interesting is how long the idea of role-playing, for which the genre was later named, was just this assumed mechanic that didn't even... In Brown Books isn't even discussed. I think in Holmes Basic, he uses the term, but gives you absolutely no explanation for what he means by it. Yeah, when I started playing Holmes, and I had some of my school friends and my cousins, to begin with, there was very little actual role-playing involved. It was all very mechanical, and we kind of just sort of felt our way in the dark into, you know, doing actual, you know, character interaction, uh, conversations with characters and NPCs. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of that when I first started because, yeah, it just, it didn't go into a lot of detail about doing it. I think, I think that's why card games like Munchkin are so popular because it kind of evokes that very, very prehistoric early D&D where you wander around the dungeon and kill stuff and take their loot. Well, it also depends on where you were at. I mean, I started in 78, 79, and I probably would have stumbled like that a while myself, but I fortunately managed to meet a group of gamers who are already, you know, older people who are already playing, and that DM, who I first learned from, HL, oh. not, quite like, not quite like DM Joe or uh, a Vince's thing, but... You know, he was the one that first taught all of us, you know, to actually do the funny voices. You know, don't say my character does this. Say it and say how you're, you know, and actually do the role playing. I can remember how excited I was that very first game because same thing, Mike. I'm a freshman in college. I find these older guys who are already playing, and I go to my first game in the basement of the Baptist Student Union at University of Kentucky. And I don't know what's going on, but the DM taught us what to do, and me and my roommate were so wound up about what happened that we go back to the apartment and we're telling the third roommate enthusiastically, we rode horses, we went across this field, we met this guy, that the guys across the hall thought we had really done these things. (laughs) (laughs) 
Man, where'd you get horses from? Yeah, you know, this is. How'd you get horses in the basement of the BSU? <laughs> I, lo- I love first-time role players. Uh, my second wife and her daughter, I introduced them to role-playing games, and I believe I was running the game. It was two e. Tui, yeah, it was Tui, and the next day it was like a Sunday. We went over to the local KFC to get something to eat. We walked over there, and they start talking about the game. They start telling what what happened with their characters after the game, and I just smile because it's like I got them. Yeah, they're hooked. <laughs> I sucked the air out of that room, didn't I? <laughs> But Liz, you started with Home's Basic, which doesn't even really s- explain what role playing is, much less teach you anything about it, right? And and new players, right? Um, none of us had even heard of Dungeons and Dragons or role playing games at all before I bought the box set. So we were all total newbies to all of it, and so we we were all learning together. <laughs> But, it, but here's my question. The role-playing happened spontaneously eventually anyway, though, right? Yeah, but it was very slow coming. I won't say, you know, after three games, we just suddenly got it. Um, it took a long time, and I think it just sort of evolved as we became more comfortable with the structure of the rules and we were spending less time looking up how to do things and trying to remember the mechanics of it. And so we were able to spend more time, you know, actually creating a story as opposed to going into dungeons and killing things and taking their stuff. Well, I think it's a matter of how attached you are to the, in the game, you know, because if you're, if you're not really invested in the game, it's very easy to go, my character does this or does that. But I think if you're really excited about what's going on and really into things, it's easy to slip into the, I do this. Or, I'm going to kill you, damn it, you know, or whatever, rather than saying, my character says, I'm going to kill you. Right. I, it, I caught it right off. Because mm. being an actor... You know, I'm used to playing a part, and I just realized this is playing a part. Yeah. Well, when did you start? I start uh, around 70, uh, 80, 81. Yeah, but how okay. old were you? Oh, I'm 22 years old. Yeah, see, yeah. when I started, I was, you know, I know, well, you're all, I know, <laughs> I know, these guys were all in diapers. I know, I know, okay. <laughs> it was not like we were four. I mean, I was yeah. nine or ten, but, yeah. I was body trained, yeah. <laughs> well, the reason I asked the question is because I, John Peterson in his book gets to this idea that it was an inevitability once they created a game that was structured the way it was structured. And and Liz, you sort of corroborate that because you guys with no experienced players played the game and it happened on its own. Yeah. The role playing. Yeah. When, once we became comfortable with the rules and we didn't have to think about them so much, you know, then, yeah, we did kind of start getting into the whole, right. you know, talking smack to the monster or whatever. <laughs> and, and that sort of evolved into me having the monster talk smack right back at the, at the characters. And, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it funny we need three core rule books to learn as adults how to do something we do automatically as kids? <laughs> well, I just had yet. I just had the concept explained to me. Funny, about a year before I, I play, I started playing, my friend of mine 
uh, Bruce back in, I was living in Chicago at the time with my first wife, and my friend Bruce bought the Holmes box uh, at Sears. And he just took it home because he was wanting, because we saw a newspaper article in, in the Tribune about role-playing games. Whoa, what? And so D&D, they mentioned that. Okay, I'm going to buy it. So he goes and buys it. And we start laughing at the stuff in there. We didn't understand, like, the gods' names and all that stuff. And But, you know, and we looked at it going, wow, this is not a board game. We really got to work at it. And then a year later, it just kind of clicked after that. I find it interesting on here also that it says Holmes, okay, first, Holmes uses the term for the first time, just drops it in the book, boom, right? And, but then first edition doesn't say of it, say anything about it, about role playing. It's well, I think like, he meant, he meant zero edition or. Which I guess technically really should be first edition, but traditionally one oh. E is considered a D and D. So, right, right. Well, I think okay. yeah, I think what Jim meant was okay. original D and D. But by the time, but when he drops it, it's almost like he said role playing games, a role playing game. Get it? Like you were also all, all you were all already supposed to be in doc, you know, totally with the concept and all that kind of stuff. Well, well that, I mean. It, you know, I, I went through the different editions just to see what they said about it because I couldn't remember. And Basic Expert is the which is eighty one, so this is like uh, was that eight years down the road. They they still don't define what role playing is for for in a basic rule set, but and that's the first edition that came out where they don't uh, have the play example use the caller, which where if you've got a caller, you don't really have an opportunity for their players to role play much. Yeah, yeah. I wonder. And then and- Frank Mincer fixed it. Hmm. Thank you, Frank. Well, Frank just wrote an explanation. What is role-playing? And it did it wonderfully. Well, that and the player's book in the original basic Menser was set up kind of as a solo adventure to to encourage you down that road, too, wasn't it? But, yeah. um, Damn it, I was going to say something, and I got dislodged. Oh, well. (laughs) Couldn't have been that important. You'll think of it after we finish recording. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's usually how that works. How are you going down the road, Mike? Oh, I just remembered that thing. Ah, <laughs> the thing with the thing and the stuff. And the... Oh, boy. Yeah. So role-playing immersion, are we talking about like Tom Hanks-type immersion? Amazing. Bite your tongue. <laughs> Plague and Steve Tuttles and all that. Oh, see, I, I, I've never seen Mazes of Monsters, so when you said Tom Hanks immersion, I was thinking of Splash and Mermaids. <laughs> <laughs> I think of something else when I think of that movie. Oh, you should, you should see Monsters and Mazes of Monsters. It's, it's a great, it's hilarious yeah. for a veteran gamer to watch. It's just like, oh my god. I'm gonna follow it up by reading Jack Chick's Dark Dungeons. That I've read. <laughs> well, it doesn't take long. Yeah, who hasn't? Probably the most infamous chick track he ever did. And ironically, it's the immersion that I think non-gamers get the most freaked out about. Yeah. I mean, uh, I would probably say it's only been in the past three or four years has TV or movies portrayed gamers gaming in a realistic way. Thank you, You community. Yes. Yes. Community was the first one I thought of. And you know what? Um, Freaks and and Geeks. Big Bang Theory. Thank you. Yeah, freaks and geeks were pretty close when yeah. they did their episode. I think it was I, was, 
Uh, it's interesting, um, like, if Hollywood hasn't co- – I mean, I think because of the Christian backlash, but Hollywood, it's like all of us were saying, hey, look, you're doing that anyway, and you guys are getting paid for it. It's the same thing. Well, like happens in a lot of fields, what's happened in Hollywood is the kids who played D&D have now grown up. Right, right. so they're in a better position to – but anyway, getting back, getting back to the track, um, when people – in the past, in the 80s and even 90s, you know, thought of people in D&D, playing D&D, they had this idea we all dressed up in funny outfits and sat around, sat around tables and, you know, quoted Shakespeare at each other. Oh, that's the LARPers down the road here. You know, it's an unfair comparison. Except they're not around the table. They're actually running true, around and true. screaming, label, label. This is a true story. About a year ago, I was in a cigar shop here in town, and there's this guy just ranting in the cigar shop about he's going to kill this guy and this and that. And, and it sounded to me like he was talking about his character in a D&D game. So I asked. I'm like, wait a minute. Or what, are you talk, you're not talking about Dungeons and Dragons, are you? And he's like, no, I'm talking about fantasy football. And he was mad over some trade. Oh, boy. So that's immersion. That's- yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Something I my my friend Ben and I got in a conversation about, you know, talking about how s- some people still, you know, oh, you're an adult and you play Dungeons and Dragons, you know, that's it's kind adult. of childish, isn't it? To which my reply is, oh yes, but watching a bunch of grown men in tight pants run around the yard playing with a ball is, of course, much more adult. Oh, it's time for a Star Trek quote: "The more complex the mind, the greater the need for the simplicity of play." Oh. And, you know, the fact you, there's, there's, there's the fantasy versions of those, too. Pretending you're a scout, you know, trying to get your best team together. Yeah, that's real, real adult. Yeah, it's, it's no different. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the point I'm making is, you know, there are some games, you know, things that we, well, adults can do that. It's okay because it's, it's the social custom. You know, and we just accept it without. Screw the social custom. And think about football. I mean, let's face it. You know, guys in tight pants running around playing with a ball in the yard. That's really what football is. Yet, it has such a respected thing, you know, position in our society. Of course, it helps that people make millions of dollars at it. Yes. That's part of where it goes. When it gets to be a big business, you know, it's legit all It's, yeah. We'll, we'll accept anything if you're making millions at it. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously what we need to do is start creating tournaments with prizes to be one of hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then role-playing can rise up in importance in, within society. Well, yeah. See, there we, you go. as gamers, we've already done that. It's called magic. No, 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 no. We are not winning the money. It's the people who create the cards that are getting They're winning the money. the money, yes. Yeah, you're, you're talking about like Vegas, Texas Hold'em tournaments. Yeah, you know, the poker tournaments that are, you know, televised and you win and, you know, you get a million dollars if D&D you win the Texas poker tournament. I think that's an excellent idea and you need to call Will Wheaton up and say, okay, the only thing wrong with what you're doing is it's not for money. That's right. <laughs> Make it for money. Of course, <laughs> that would make uh, rules arguments take on a whole new potentially lethal air, wouldn't it? <laughs> you know, we can, yeah, we can get a Vegas backer. Maybe we can get like Vin Diesel to back us or something. Or uh, oh, ah. there you go again, Mike. Yeah, there I go again. 
I'd like to take this opportunity to say that this idea is copyright Elizabeth Stewart, not 2013. <laughs> <laughs> Rights reserved. Void where prohibited. Your mileage may vary. Do not try this at home. Oh, I- okay. <laughs> well, we've talked the player end of things pretty well. Let's head over into DM Fiat then and talk about the DM side of things. Okay. Nope. Sorry. What? Uh, nope, you're wrong. Look it up. I don't have to look it up. It's common knowledge. Nope. No, no, no. How to encourage good role playing from players? Well, I got a whip. This is something I've struggled with for a while, and I have come to the conclusion that you can't make players role play. No, not not at all. Um, Well, there's there's one obvious thing everybody can do. What? Um, By demonstration. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Yes, playing other NPCs. But even that can be a problem. Uh, For instance, I had a group few years ago that I was running and there was a married couple who were friends of ours they played D&D in the past, they came over to play in our game but they would not role play it was always my character does this, my character does that, my character da 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 and when everybody else most notably Liz, Rita Robert, some others would actually role play I mean it kind of I won't say it wigged them out, but you know what I mean, Liz. You remember? Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, they suddenly found themselves in the deep end of the pool and they weren't sure what to do. Yeah, they kind of seized up. And at first I thought, well, you know, they're just nervous, you know, new group, you know, give it a while. They'll, they'll loosen up. They never never did. Hmm. Never. A year or more. And that game went and it just, nope. And then there's the other side of the coin. I played with people back in my days in San Jose. I played with groups where they had people where you just turn to them and go, do me a favor, don't role play, please. <laughs> but that may be the acting snob in me. So <laughs> there's a couple of people where it's like that. I ugh. can't think of anybody that I've had that big a problem when they actually tried to role play, even I mean, when they I did it badly, I mean, you know, the, as far as I'm concerned, it was the effort. It was the intention that, I know, you know, made I know, it. but I'm, I'm sensitive to certain kinds of hammy acting, even though I'm... It's like, really? I've done it yeah, really? <laughs> on, stage, on stage before. <laughs> in podcasts. Because when other people are hammy actors, they get in Glenn's way. Ooh. <laughs> Come on, you walked into that one. Glenn spent two hours chewing the scenery. (laughs) Pretty much. Can you do Bill Shatner? Tell me you can do Bill Shatner. Well, I can try. (laughs) I can try. I I can really try. There you go. That's awesome. Let me me sell you something. Is Taco John's game we were in where I was giving that character that pre-gen named Captain Tiberius? Yes. And I ran him like Bill Shatner. (laughs) Even making the face, you know, whenever he was injured, you know. <laughs> Did he get in a lot of fights and everybody went, da, 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 da. No, I was the only one doing that. Da, 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 da. <laughs> oh, well. And you wanted me to play the schnoz. Anyway. Um, 
You would have well, been a fantastic schnoz, Glenn. Oh, thanks. It was a fantastic schnoz. Didn't you play him last year? Yes, I did. Yeah, but uh, we weren't playing that year. Ah, that's true. Oh, yeah. Tony did his best, but I just don't think he really, his heart really went Well, Vince will vouch for me. He was in the game, so. Oh, okay. So it was fun. It was fun. I don't anyway, yeah, um, I, I do think it's something that ought to be encouraged when possible, but I think you yeah. ought to accept the fact that there are some players that it's just not their bag. Yeah, and as far as good and bad role-playing, you know, I may have said something like that, but I came to the conclusion that role-playing in a role-playing game is kind of like karaoke. You're going to get guys who knock it out of the park on a song, and you're going to get those guys who try really hard, but they just can't go anywhere with it. But you got to sit there and go, well, this is karaoke, this is for fun, it's okay. And the same thing with role-playing. At least they're trying, and that's good. Yeah. Well, I, I don't. I don't even think it's a question of acting ability as much as it is uh, putting the thought into this is what my character would do and say, and then taking taking it and having it benefit the game in some way. Right. As That's a, why I don't completely discourage it for people I don't think are very good actors because it shows you they're thinking about their character. Yeah. I love that moment in a game where everybody's sitting around narrating what their characters are going to do, and somebody hops up and role plays it. Yeah. As a DM, my favorite part is when, so, like, a conversation at a tavern or something, or at a banquet or something happens, and I can just sit back and I don't have to do anything. The other players are role playing their characters, interacting with each other. I know. And you know, you got like 20 minutes of them doing that, and you, I'm just sitting back, maybe rolling every now and then to see if you know something weird happens. Oh, good! I can work on my notes while they're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> see, if that happens in your game, that tells you automatically you're doing your job and you're doing it great. My favorite part is since I role play the hell out of the NPCs, if I'm talking to another player as character. And they talk to me back as their character. That is great. Yeah, that's that's the the clincher that you know. Okay, they're in, they're into it. They are yeah. going to role play. Yeah. On the other hand, my least favorite thing is when somebody attempts to role play as a rationalization to metagame or uh, do something they they as a player want to do that their character wouldn't necessarily do. Oh, I have a zero tolerance for that. Or or worse that. You know, it's they're they're doing something slimy or whatever, and you know that causes trouble either among the group or everything, and then just try to fall What's back my to character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hi, Brad. Anyway. Uh. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, that that whole well, you can't hold it against me, and that's that brings up another point. You killed my family, and it's what? something that I was gratified to read that. That Gary Gygax covered in his role playing mastery, which I recently reread for the show, um, that you have to keep a line between yourself as a player and yourself as your character. You know what? That's part of acting 101, too. But you're not, not a lot of self. people. You do not. Not a lot of self. people have acting acting chops. Well, I know that, but I'm saying it it applies to that too. I mean, I know you know. I learned that real. You do not get immersed in your character. Whether it's on stage or in front on a table at a table, 
Uh, that's just that. Yeah. That's cause for trouble right there. Well, yeah. well in, in that you're as a group writing a story, you're all writing a part of the story, and that's the way to think about it because your characters will do many things that you wouldn't do, and and people get tripped up on that, where the, especially when they're trying to figure out alignment and how that defines what their character will and won't do. I mean, yeah. their their character. Should I kill may, this person? Should I not? You know. Right. I may not, I'm unsure whether I should, but maybe I should with, because of that's what my character would do, you know, that sort of thing. And then there's these, pe- and then there's people who justify the most heinous acts. <sighs> oh. Yeah. That kind of thing. Of course, usually I'm those chaotic. guys set, set it's themselves. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, what, Liz? It's like, I'm chaotic neutral, so it's okay. Yeah, and that was, that was a point I was about to make. Normally those people, you know, put up the warning flags right at the beginning because they're the ones who want to play the assassin, the anti-paladin, the, or the drow. Paladin. Yeah, the drow assassin, but no one else in the party knows. Well, you know what? And that, that's already going, okay, this is going to be yeah. some problems. That's the point where you say, oh, I'm chaotic. That's what I would do. And he says, okay, if you're chaotic, you realize that there are consequences to this, and they probably will come down on your head. Yeah, a lot of people say lawful or lawful good doesn't mean lawful stupid, and it's like true, and I think that the reverse applies too. You know, you'd have to be an utter maniac to do chaotic actions in a situation where you don't think there's at least a reasonable chance you can get away with it. Mm -hmm. Even serial killers don't do it out in the middle, you know, (laughs) don't jump out in the middle of the street going, hey, look at me. Yeah, I think Julie put, made a great point of that in one of the other shows about her time she was playing a drow and some fighter came up in the bar and wanted to, was getting ready to kill her because she's a slaver. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to cause trouble. Yeah, I may be evil, but I'm not stupid. What are you getting on my case for? Yeah. 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 Since, since we're kind of talking around it, let me bring something up and ask you guys what you think. Because uh, part of what we're talking about as, as applies to role playing is whether the, the players are playing cooperatively or, com- or competitively. And uh, it's my opinion that later editions favored more focus on individual characters and lent themselves more to competitive play than older editions. Just... Well, I can't speak to anything beyond 2000 because I only played 3X a couple of times and I've never played 4th. But I do think there is, whether intentionally or not, there is an overemphasis on the individual character being able to do all sorts of things rather than being part of a group. A specialist at one thing who associates with a group because each person, you know, the fighter, the magic user, the cleric, the thief... And thus, as a group, they're more powerful than individually. So in that regard, yeah, I think you've got a point there. You do have a point, but they still, you know, played, paid homage to cooperative playing. Well, the reason, well, the, the whole point of like being that specialized is so you could fit your specialization into a group. At least that's what I thought the thinking was, having played three three five. But. I think well, the, what, what well, led me to, I'm sorry. What led me to it is because cooperative role playing is where you put the good of the campaign ahead of the good. What's good for your individual character, and I've noticed a difference in the amount of that in older school games versus uh, newer school games. Um, when you say the good of the campaign, 
What do you mean yeah, exactly? Well, if if I decide my character is chaotic neutral and I can just do whatever I want and steal from people in my party and screw the party over, that's not that's eventually going to destroy the campaign. The people are going to not want to play with each other. Yeah, I, I got to admit, those type of players were around as long as I've gained. They were, but I think they, you say in the later versions it kind of. It encourages it. It's easier to do that. Also, it's also a generational thing, too. I mean, these younger kids. These kids today, I tell you. Kids today, yeah. (laughs) Actually, I would would say kids, period, you know, because when you're a teenager, you want to be the rebel, badass, loner, just like everyone else. Well, I... I'm not trying to start an addition war because I'm fine with no, whatever no, no. plays that, that if you're having fun, you're fine with me. But I, uh, I'm thinking of this, uh, particular Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign that we're trying to struggle through our level zero character funnel thing. And we've got a mix of players there. Everybody except me and two other players are very young in their twenties. And, uh, but, the, but the age break isn't the difference. The difference is in what other games they play. Because we've got a group that want to play as a team and a group that want to shout out their individual actions. And those are the Pathfinder players as opposed to the players that have been playing in the retro D&D league. Hmm. Does that make sense? I think that's what I'm seeing. I'm asking it all as a question. I was going to sure. say, I, I, I understand your question, but not really knowing anybody who's played Pathfinder a lot or even a lot of 3E, I couldn't answer you. I understand what you're saying. There's going to be, you know, and I assume their characters are pretty much out for themselves. No, 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 no. They're all good players. I, I, I love my group, every single one of them, even the people that are just shouting out things, because they're shouting out things and things happen and they get killed and with yeah, well, characters that tends to kill all of us, but. They're just not used to working with other players gotcha. to make something happen. Well, it's it's only important because the structure of Dungeon Crawl Classics is just like basic D and D. I mean, you can't like the game we're playing with uh, Angry Monk. We couldn't get away with that. We, and especially where we are now, we would quickly die if our characters were running off individually doing stuff. Right. Ah, so they're breaking away from the party to go do individual things. Right. Exactly. I see. So that the game then, at least for that period, concentrates on their character alone. Yeah, and I, I really mm. like everybody in the group, but we've got a couple of slow learners. Mm. And it's and it's not because they aren't great people and highly intelligent players. They're just not used to that, the way that game is structured. Well, I wonder well, if that's less of a deal with playing later edition games and maybe more of the prevalence of first-person shooter PC games yeah. where you are alone and you're going through the game and it's all about you. Right. That's and, a good point. And to come to the defense, I've got to, I gotta say, back in 1989, 88, I think it was, I was running a tournament game for, uh, in Mayfair's release of City State of the Invincible Overlord, okay. which isn't the City State of the Invincible Overlord, but I was, <laughs> I was asked to run the tournament for this con and Oh, I remember I had, the story. Yeah, you remember the story. Okay, the drow are trying to take over this town, the city-state, and the player characters are all supposed to work together to find, you know, where the secret society is to stop them, to defend da-da-da. We then had four and a half hours of six players, each one going off to do their own thing, 
none of which had anything to do with the secret society that was taking over. <laughs> right. And one of my friends was actually handling the drow, so he would, like, pass me a note every now and then to let me know, okay, you know, the the spider sect has done this. We've taken over this shop or we've killed this person, you know, so that there was a timeline running. And, you know, probably by the third hour, I just looked and said, Mike, don't bother. <laughs> this is not going anywhere. And, yeah, they just, <laughs> you've won. <laughs> you pretty much won. Yeah, it's over. Yeah. So I... I I won't say that it may or may not be encouraged nowadays, but it certainly existed back in the day. Yeah, well, I've, I've rethought my original statement. I want to recant. I don't want to make the div- division between older and newer editions. I want to make the division between game styles and mechanics because Dungeon Crawl Classics is a brand new game. It just came out last year, so Very it's true. it's it's so it's not the the and it's the, not the, a clone. Correct. Uh, it's a retro clone only by technicality. It's really its own game. But it's, it's kind of yeah, it's kind of like castles and crusades. In the- it's it's DNA is basic D and D. Yeah, yeah, but it does its own mechanics. You also have people like you were saying go off and do their own thing. Uh, that's been around since time immemorial, um, and the way the DM handles it, in my opinion, is to ignore the player. Which would be a way to encourage good role playing. Then. That's true. I mean, there's 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 more than one reason reason they say don't split the party. You know. Um, hey Liz. Hmm. Three and a half hours of clothes shopping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, if only she had been ignored when she tried to go off. Yeah. And do that. If only. <laughs> it's like if you don't stay with the party, then you've left a, the story. A <laughs> female player who shall remain nameless. Obviously not Liz. That we gamed with, and she could role play when she wanted, but she got this idea. She wanted to go shop for clothes for three and a half hours, and that was. And the DM, of course, wanting to get in her pants, let her do it. And we're all sitting around for three and a half hours. It's like, yeah. I remember. Well, now I've got to get shoes. Oh, oh my god! Fuck. Just shoot me. I, I remember when Marvel role play, role, Marvel superheroes role playing game came out from TSR, and I get the basic box, and I said, "Hey, let's try this out. I'll run it." So I ran the sample scenario in there with four heroes, four established Marvel heroes. And yeah, because it's all you could do. Pretty much at that time, and you know, um, Doc Ock robbed a place for money for his experiments, blah, 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 blah. And he escapes. Well, the guy playing Spider-Man says, I said, what are you going to do, throw a Spidey, uh, you know, one of his detectors on there? He said, no, I'm going to follow him, see where he goes. That's up to you. And at the time, I should have said, okay, but I'm following these other three players over here. Bye-bye. I didn't. I had to split my time between the three of them and him. So I was making up stuff. I'm pulling stuff out of my rear like crazy, trying to keep up with him. Because I know he just did it to be, you know, well, that's what Spider-Man would do. Yeah, well, that doesn't mean I have to tell you what's going to happen. Mm, I I would disagree. I'd say as a DM, it's kind of your job to tell him what happens. Well, it's your job to do a challenge, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go majority rules. And I got three players over here and you. I'm not well, I mean, I'm not saying you should, he should get equal time with the three players. Well, expect you do have to. Um, although in a superhero game, unlike a fantasy game, you can't 
go along with, okay, well, it's wandering monster time, and you're by yourself. Oh, I could probably have some make up something, but at the time, I was just trying to get through the game, and this was like the first game, and it was a sample. We were trying it out, and it's like, you're, dude, you're totally messing with my, like, trying to understand this game, okay? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, but that's my, my boo-hoo. But yeah, you got people like that anyway. Well, I'm I'm okay with some of it. I mean, our last game, we pulled out of the dungeon at the end of the game before, and we were game started with us in town to resupply with our whole sixty silver pieces a piece we had. Okay, so I make my list, hand it to the DM. He tells me how much it cost. I can only get two thirds of it. I was in and out in literally three minutes. We were another hour and a half of people shopping and bartering and arguing, and I just went out for a smoke. <laughs> you know, if it's sometimes if it's good role playing. Everybody's involved. That's good. But nine times out of ten, they're not. Oh, they or were having even fun. If people aren't aren't involved. You can at least get it done with fairly quickly. Um, it still can work. But the idea is you've got to get back to other players. I mean, that's why I don't like playing in groups of greater than six or seven people. It's been my experience that very very few DMs can effectively keep things interesting and exciting for all. True. All six or eight players. True. Inevitably, one or two are just going to be left in the back of twiddling their thumbs, and they get bored. Yeah. Our guy, our guy Marcos, is a great DM. In fact, he, I would never say this to his face. He reminds me of Tim, the way he DMs. He's really good. He's 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 lethal and nice about it at the same time. <laughs> but he, he our group kind of ebbs and flows, but it's nine or ten players, and he handles it great. Huh? God, God bless him. Yeah, God bless him. I once ran it back before, you know, I had my vision problems. I ran a Call of Cthulhu game at a convention with 12 people. Wow. Not by choice. This was, again, that very same convention. I had six people in a Call of Cthulhu game. I was playing Trail of the Loathsome Slime, and it's like the guy who was running the con was... Had a lot of friends, and everybody's like, "Ooh, Call of Cthulhu! Can I join?" And they go, "Can I have one more person join?" Well, okay, one more, and another. And well, okay, one more, and the next thing I know, I'm running twelve people on a tugboat. I read, I played ugh. a teenagers from outer space game with twenty five people, and Mike. Yeah, Mike, that's a bit. Mike Pondsmith was running it. The guy who wrote it. Mm. He did a masterful job. No. I don't know how he got that game moving, but he did. I admire people who can do that because four or five is my comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Now, nowadays, especially, if you get over four or five players, I'd, as a DM, I don't generally like more than four. I can tolerate five, but that's usually my limit. Know, if I'm playing six is really the limit. Matt's RC game right now that I play on Saturdays, I've counted eight players. Mm-hmm. Uh, six were at the table last session. And some came late, but two of them came very late. They couldn't even get a seat at the table. Hmm. They had other people playing their characters. Gary, apparently Gary used to run 10 to, 10 to 14 in old Castle Greyhawk stuff back in the day. Yeah, well, he just whittled them down. Well, they kept coming back. <laughs> that's what that's what Tim Cass does. He'll run 10, no problem, because he can take them out in swipes of three or four. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, talking about, and of course, one can't talk about role-playing. We've hinted on it already, but we can't talk role-playing without talking about alignment. Yay. Dun, dun, dun. 
And this is where Liz and I unfortunately part ways to a degree. <laughs> really? Yeah, she's wrong. She's wrong, and she's drunk. Her, she's what? Wrong. She's drunk. What? What? <laughs> well, Jeez. Mike says I'm wrong, but he is actually mistaken. So Mike's drunk. You thought I was mistaken, but you were wrong. No. Yeah. Well, let's 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 start with the incorrect view, Mike. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> It's like that whole thing about teaming an angry monk. I'm getting anyway. I like the three alignment system: law, neutral, and chaos. Me too. I I like it because I think it is actually less less of a straitjacket on characters, and it gives you a general idea of their outlook without being really militantly limiting. You took the thought right out of my head, Mike. I oh, like is that it. why it was so? Well, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> I like I like it exactly the same way because in life that's the way it is. Nobody comes off as completely neutral good, completely lawful evil. Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a, a, just enough shade of gray where I'm comfortable with it. Now, don't and, get me wrong. And I'm not and I'm not agreeing with Mike because I have testosterone. So. <laughs> Now, don't get me wrong. I don't. I'm not the type who like to believe in good orcs, or you know. I do. I don't. I mean, I'm not saying it's utterly impossible, but it would be the exception to prove the. I like the mis- I like the occasional misfit orc. Mm. See, I don't. I to me, for a fantasy game, especially like D and D, there's got to be certain basic assumptions. Good is good. Evil is evil. There'll be exceptions to the rule to keep you on your toes, but for the most part, that's. A reasonable assumption, and please let's not get into a discussion if D and D is racist. Yes. Oh. <laughs> How about except, for, except for gnomes. Oh yeah, because they suck. <laughs> That's where Mike and I part ways. <laughs> so I don't. So Liz. But I'm still not for murdering them by throwing them down wells. You know? <laughs> so Liz, you're an advocate of not the nine point alignment system. Uh, five point. She likes Holmes, Holmes all the way. I think AD&D goes a little too far. I think Holmes is a very good, happy medium, good, evil, law, chaos, neutral. Okay. Yeah. Without the neutral adding to... Yeah, there's no neutral good, neutral evil, essentially. Yeah. Right. It's just neutral. Yep. Uh, And since you don't have druids in Holmes, you don't have that... You don't? No. no. i got to look at that book closer. There are yeah. no druids in No Holmes. druids. And I the mean, druids you... that originally showed up in, in original were actually neutral. Monsters. Oh, yeah. Thought... yeah, they were like evil. Well, they were monsters. Yeah, they were basically, you know, barbarian priest types, and they were evil. Or chaotic, I should say. Um, I would not have so much of a problem with the three-point alignment system if instead of lawful, chaotic, and neutral... It was good, evil, and neutral. Well, that's basically how I play it. Yeah, but I just, I don't like the terminology. Well, that's what because, because? Because one could be, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, Liz, but I think where you're going is because one could be lawful but still be evil. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you don't could know be, that. You could be good-hearted but not necessarily law-abiding. Right, and just like life. And, but the term lawful 
and implies chaotic. that you are a law-abiding citizen, and Law. you always, yeah, you always follow the rules. Well, maybe you don't always follow. Especially the rules. if you go for the Moorcock um, or the Paul Anderson Three Hearts and Three Lions view, which was, you know, law, order versus chaos, which. In those areas, you could have good and evil people all under law. Yeah. That's, but that's not how D&D treats it. So you don't like the, the play you get there is what you're saying, the, the gray spots. I, I wish that the terminology was just good evil rather than law chaos. Uh, I, could I think that is could... more cut and dried and easier easier for my brain to understand. Yeah, I, guess I feel I could, like I have I more wiggle room. I can understand that, but I like the law of chaos because good and evil puts too black and white a face on it. Well, since the alignment uh, point system is written into the rules of these different games and different versions of games, I'm, I'm okay with playing whatever game we're playing and adhering to that system. But I'm interested in how the character alignment affects actual role play. I mean, is it is it a is it a, a you know a shot collar for players to play right, or no. is it just a guideline? It's a guideline as far as I'm concerned. The only thing is I would... A, is it a fence? I would, I would try to at least put some limitations on is the paladin, and that's from OD&D. Well, and it's yeah. pretty specific that you have to basically behave good to remain a paladin. That um, can go on on a certain... You can go, that can go on clerics to a certain extent, too, depending on that. Yeah, but... Paladins get more bennies, so as far as I'm concerned, that requires more more limitation. Pain, more pain, more gain. Well, you're right. That's, that's clearly delineated in the rules. Yeah. Um, and I frankly like the way OD&D does it, where you're just a fighter who decides to be holy and thus you become a paladin. You know, right. you stop doing it, you lose all the bennies. So, but yeah, other than that, I try to treat it as a guideline rather than a straitjacket. Liz? Um, Mike and I are more or less in agreement when it comes to that. You know, I only really poke at people for not following alignment if they're playing a paladin or if they do something that is just so obviously, you know, off the chart you know, I just stab my fellow party member in the chest just because. But I just you're got good, orphan. you know. Stick like, around. I, I just stabbed an orphan in the middle of the street, Liz. Yeah, something like that. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry. What alignment are you again? You know, got it good. Yeah. Uh, that sounded no. like it really happened. Did that actually happen in a game? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, oh my the same the same uh, player who's who later was the gnome murderer actually. Well, okay, that's a case of then what you're actually doing, which I agree with, is it doesn't matter unless it affects the story. Right. You know, now someone who says I'm good, but I killed someone who surrendered, but they were obviously a very, very evil person, and you probably couldn't have trusted them anyway. You know, I'm not going to quibble too much about that, but I'm good, and I killed a fellow good and or innocent bystander for no reason whatsoever. Yeah, I'm going to do something about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was struggling with that this last uh, basic expert game we were in because I've never played clerics, and I uh, do... N- Almost never play lawful good. 
I, or I'm lawful. Mm-hmm. I almost never play that alignment. So I knew we had to, uh, uh, for the benefit of listeners, we fought goblins, and after we smoked three of them, the rest threw their swords down and surrendered. We're in a, two levels down in a dungeon or three, and now we've got to time up, question them, and now what? Do four lawful characters do with prisoner goblins? Yeah, I I was not entirely comfortable with that, but, you know, that was how it was ruled, so, you know. What part were, were you not comfortable with? I'm actually asking. Because I struggled Again, with what the, back what, I, I struggled, lawful, I was struggling with how to play my character and accomplish a game goal at the same time. Well, again, this gets back to lawful not being stupid. I mean, we all leave the room while the thief discusses what happens to, happen to his friends with the goblins. I mean, we know what's gonna happen. We should. We're not that stupid. Well, I figure they're goblins. My character is an elf. As far yeah. as she's concerned, they are inherently evil. And this guy was due some revenge because they literally ate his fellow party members. Yeah, and I understand that. But as a character, my character wasn't entirely comfortable with it. I mean, I think he would have been better of just tying them up and leaving them there. And if we got back later, if they had been eaten, well, that's life. If not, then take them back to town for prosecution and give them a fair trial. And after the fair trial, they would be executed. You see, that's law versus chaos as opposed to good versus evil, in my opinion. Yes. And my character is more chaotic on the spectrum of good than lawful. I thought you were going to say the opposite thing. (laughs) <laughs> Go ahead, Liz, I'm sorry. I was going to say, and that's why a five-point system is better than a three-point. So, Nina. If you say so. Oh, you, I do. You may have supported your argument. I thought you were going to say the opposite, that we should have just gone ahead and killed them because they're evil and need to die. You you were actually uncomfortable with what we did, too. Oh, you mean me? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, My I felt my character was, you know... It, it, we were basically leaving a guy in there to execute them. And yes, they're evil, but killing helpless people in cold blood is an evil act as far as without, quote-unquote, due process. I mean, I can understand. You don't give them due process. <laughs> I'm not saying it was right or wrong. I'm just saying this is how... I viewed my character and how my comfortable felt take, character felt a little uncomfortable in the situation. We took him back to town. I have this wonderful image of them going on trial with a goblin defend uh, barrister, the <laughs> white wig and everything, trying to argue their case. Mm-hmm. No. Anyway. As I said, this is my view of how I play my character and how my character interprets his alignment. I'm not saying it's right, correct, or incorrect, or that. You know, our DM handled it wrong or right. I'm just saying that's how I felt. Right. And that's my interpretation of law versus chaos. Because mm-hmm. yeah, chaos is vigilante. You know, hang him from the nearest tree. We all know he's guilty, kind of thing. Whereas law is more a structure. Yeah. I was genuinely asking for your point of view because I, uh, you know, if, if you'd given me a chaotic mage, I would have just lit him up. But as yeah. a lawful cleric, I was struggling with what was the correct way to play the character. Then you yeah. play your character correctly. 
Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah. Well, is correct. I'm, I'm trying to put a value on there. No, no. I mean, you played your character good. You should never say correctly. There's no correct in D&D. <laughs> Although we know what incorrect is. But <laughs> yeah, it usually involves having to roll up a new character. <laughs> <laughs> you played that character incorrectly. Here's some dice. Now here's another set of dice. Come on. <laughs> I, I have, I'm actually trying to take Gary's advice in role-playing mastery to heart because he encourages everybody should play every type of character, and I've not historically done that. I tend towards mages, and so this is this is good for me to do. Yeah. Well, and speaking of which, do we want to beat any more? No. What's your opinion on alignments, Jim? You haven't given yours. Oh, uh, you're all wrong. It's the nine point <laughs> system. <laughs> it's the nine point system all the way. No, I, you know, if if it if I. I to me, it's game specific because I run Gamma World. There are no alignments in Gamma World. We don't worry about it. The characters are, you know, on their own recognizance to behave however they want to. It's be surprising how few games. games give give that kind of um, guidance. Um, in uh, Basic Expert and Dungeon Crawl Classics, both it's the three point system which I'm the least used to and the least comfortable with, but I'm okay with it. Uh, I, but I grew up on a first edition AD and D, so I'm very accustomed to uh, the nine point alignment system. It's so I, so was I, but I saw the light. <laughs> it was an oncoming train. <laughs> well, I, I will say, it, part, it's weird how Liz made her case, though, in this discussion. Yeah. Well, and, and this, again, just reiterates her five over nine, but I, I really think the biggest problems in the nine-point alignment system are things like chaotic neutral and the neutral goods and neutral evils. Right. Well, neutral good's not that hard to understand. That's the Spider-Man alignment. I'm out there to do good, but sometimes I have to skirt the law. That's vigilanteism. Yeah. It's Batman stuff. Well, but, but then but then the argument is, you know, can you be a little lawful? Is lawful lawful or is lawful, you know, is it an absolute? Do you, are you either lawful or are you chaotic? Or can you be a little lawful? You know, I guess that's how you can translate the neutral good. Or the neutral evil, for that I'm matter. Gonna, we're going to take Jim in a corner and do rock, paper, scissors, lizard, Spock. And see what <laughs> happens. I saw dice for sale that were for that game. What? R- rock, <laughs> paper, scissors, lizard, Spock, dice. And I haven't gotten my hands on them yet, but I'm going to. Um, no, the bottom line for me is that uh, when I'm running a game, whatever the alignment system is, if the role-playing is good and the story is good and everybody's happy, I really don't care. But if somebody is disrupting the game, I'll whip the alignment bat out and smack them with it in a heartbeat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, the, I think the alignment thing is there is, like I said, a guideline, but it gives the DM, like you said, a good bat. In case I like really start stepping over the line, I just want two things: everybody to have fun and to be a good story. And I think it also helps new people. It does because it's it's you've got a label of you know we're good, they're evil, and you know what? It's okay to attack. I found out people or players who start with D and D, gamers who start with D and D with that alignment system, whichever one it is. When they go into other games that don't have alignment systems, it makes them think about the moral choices more, the more the personality and the choices more. Even there's no alignment in the game. Yeah, I think yeah, I think you have a point there. Yeah, so it's a good training thing. Mm. Then we kill our character. No, uh, <laughs> no it sounds like it sounds like you have some chaotic neutrals running around in the background there, Glenn. 
Yeah, we do. It's a band of pixies. (laughs) 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 Or the children of the corn. Yeah. Uh, Any more alignment dead horse beating? Or should we move move into random events? No, I'm pretty much spent. Uh, I need a cigarette. Liz? Uh, No, no. I'm done with the horse. Let's go get the cart. Yeah. Okay. Random encounters. We take what we want and leave the rest. Just like your salad bar. Nothing up must leave. Presto! You will come out no more. What? Huh? What will come out no more? Random encounters. And this encounter... Mule's Train! Ah! I got the card. Thank you. What the... Anyway... (laughs) Sound like you ran the cart over your foot. <laughs> you were saying? That's my Frankie Lane in person. This segues off of the alignment conversation we were having to a degree because, uh, as you put it here, Jim, we're discussing the, the ubiquitous baby orcs. Dun, dun, dun. Or goblin or werewolf or whatever. That's the point. I leave the table. Okay. You've, you've killed the evil big bads, and all that are left are women and children. Well, the, the women take care of the children. What's the problem? So you let them live. Look, if we're going to do a chicken or egg comparison here... I'm, I'm, I, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just asking. No. I'm, not, what, you're playing, what you're doing is playing devil's advocate. No, I'm asking, honestly. you know. So if you kill all the goblin men, there are goblin females and young... You, you know, what alignment would you say would let them live? Uh, lawful? Uh, lawful and neutral? And isn't what they're one of these encounters in B2 or B1? I seem to remember as a younger player, there's a baby goblin in there somewhere. Am I remembering that wrong? All I remember about B2 for sure is you had the mad hermit and... <laughs> Wearing the little hula skirt and... <laughs> His description has absolutely nothing to do with that picture. But almost I, everybody I know that started with that module always... This is the mad hermit, the crazy guy in the hula skirt with the, je- with the Joker smile. That yeah, I don't picture. remember one way or the other if there was a, a baby monster encounter. <laughs> anyway, getting back to the subject you were saying that you had <clears throat> table yeah because i as a dm i wouldn't pull that and as a player i'm not going to deal with it period okay it's bleeding heart stuff so send in your emails to thinkoshammer at gmail.com so, so what you're saying, yeah, please send your emails to Thacos Hammer. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> i'll fight him there too okay <laughs> <laughs> so what, what you're saying is that that whole setup is just some kind of dirty pool from whoever set the encounter up. You, I know yeah, there were, no, the what I'm saying is there was a certain time when, you know, you're coming off the 60s and the 70s where, hey, let's throw a moral choice in there and see how the players behave. Well, that's all fine and good if done right, but I think that's pretty much kind of a slap in the face to a player. I mean, you know the women and children are going to be left. Or, you know, it tells me more about the time it was written than 
the actual scenario or what you would do. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure. Uh, only sort of, because I've read modules or adventures with that quandary right up until the present day. I don't like in one form thing. or another. I know. It's just me. I like when I'm like I said, when I role play, it's not that I'm a you know a killmonger or a Rambo or anything like that. But those are the kind of moral choices I don't want to make in a role playing game. Okay, so you're saying you'd rather it not be there to begin with, or True. you'd rather just whack them and and everybody be quiet about? Yeah, I'm trying to understand what's your protest. I would probably do the same thing I did in the last game: leave the room. Okay, so you don't want to. You think having that choice is inappropriate in a role-playing game to begin with? Well, for me, it is. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that everybody has the same line you just talked about. It just might not be in the same place. Like if true, uh, if the game starts involving, um, there was a game I was in, in in our ongoing campaign where suddenly my apprentice has been kidnapped by orcs and raped, and I did not think that was appropriate. Well, I wouldn't either. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to put up with it either. So I've, I've got the same line you do. It's just in a different. Yeah. Um, what I'm saying, what I'm saying is, if the game sets it up like that, I don't like it. When if you say a, the game, you mean the scenario, you mean the adventure. The okay. adventure sets it up like that. That drives me crazy. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. If a player pulls something like that in my game, I will come down like a ton of bricks. You know, because this is player choice talking. Not scenario so not scenarios encounter. Somebody going out of their way, say, to right. down women and children and done Right. Okay. Well let me describe a real life case that was very recent. At the CincyCon, Tim Cask ran one of his adventures and it involved uh four fighters on a mission. Two regular fighters, a fighter thief, and an actual paladin. And I think, I, I don't know, I assume the paladin was lawful. I, all I know is my character was neutral. And the uh, thing that we were sent in the dungeon to get and we're going to be killed if we didn't come back with was in a room behind two adult werewolves and their pups. So we took out the mom and dad werewolf. Now we've got the pups and the uh, uh, the MacGuffin is in this magic trapped and warded uh, cask with these chains that we already know are warded and are going to do something to us. Um, the paladin wanted to sacrifice himself to save the pups before we even killed the mom because he was playing his thing all crazy. And then when we had just the pups left, he didn't want us to do anything to the pups. And I had no problem picking one of the pups up and throwing it at the ward and tripping it because it's a werewolf. Yeah. Okay. Well, there is that moral argument there. Yeah. Um, I, I really don't. The point is, I try. I don't like to drag real world morality into my game very much. I mean, there's a certain place for it, but yeah, not I very can, often. Oh, well, I can see your argument. I, I mean, to a degree, that's one of the reasons I like D and D because while it's not a hundred percent, there is a large percentage of these beings are good, these beings are evil. Right. Therefore, you can have conflict without having, you know, real-life moral quandaries. Well, this is good because we're talking about something that comes up all the time, Glenn, and you and you just put your finger on it. Is uh, in, in all things being equal in a normal game, there's the characters alignment and the characters role I'm playing, and you were talking about it earlier, Mike, and that's completely separate from me as a player. I mean, mm-hmm. I, can, I, I can I can play a lawful character, I can play a chaotic character, but these certain tricky situations cause a confusion between the two. 
because it's it it, it it the inappropriateness you're talking about it trips something in it. Yeah, like the guy the guy playing the paladin was serious as a heart attack. Don't kill those pups, and he he was talking more as himself than as the um, player, the yeah. character he was playing. Yeah, the, he, me, and, me, that... me in real life, I can't even bait a hook. I can't put a, a hook through a worm in real life. <laughs> I pick spiders up in Kleenexes and carry them outside and let them go. But Did my character in that game didn't think twice about picking up a werewolf pup and chucking it at the wall. Side note: Did you watch Big Bang last night? No. Yeah, it was the episode where Howard was supposed to go fishing with his father-in-law. Oh, and Penny is telling him how to fish, and he's like, you know, okay, I've got worm. I got the worm, Sherm the worm. She's like, like, don't name it, just shove a hook through his face. <laughs> <laughs> if I had to clean a fish, I'd starve. Yeah, yeah. Well, not that, me. But that's I not, used to, I used that's, to shove, that's not Lomax, the, you know, the neutral fighter. Yeah, well, I think I, that's a situation to where it's the DM's responsibility to kind of know where the lines of his players are. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long that paladin guy had been playing in your group. It was a convention game, so we. Oh, were okay, yeah. So it was totally an off the cuff. So yeah. Um, while I can see that the player, you know, that player was obviously letting his personal feelings and the feelings of the paladin get mixed, because in D and D, you know, depending on what kind of world you're in, the quote unquote stereotypical one, you know, even a it it's. I think a lot of the, you know, TSR luminaries have said that, you know, a paladin could kill those, you know, werewolf pups because they are evil. They will grow up to be evil. There's no redeeming them. Da 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 da. Now, might not, you know, barbecue them over a slow fire. Make them sled dogs. Um, <laughs> well, if, if you were, if you remember from me telling you about it a few weeks ago, this is the same player who, in characters, the paladin sassed the, the DM through the character of the evil wizard who had exploding coins in her pocket and got blown up over it. So he wasn't, he wasn't having a good day anyway. Hi, James. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I got to admit, you know, when you're in a ga- convention game, sometimes you feel like. Or any one shot, you feel a little, you know, faster and looser than you might in a campaign. Because oh yeah, if you get killed, so what? You know, when I go to a convention, I walk to a table with pre-gens. My balls grow to a factor of ten. Just hand me the damn thing; I can play anything. Thank you for that imagery. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're pretty big to be a DM already. So known. any mention bigger to DM Glens. <laughs> My test big chunk. <laughs> Bigger than a baby goblin. <laughs> oh. But less of an alignment. Anyway, that's <laughs> not good My there. testicular mass. Except hey, we did. When they well, get out of alignment, you know it. Episode number 69. <laughs> Send your email to... DM Jim. That's... <laughs> And we might have to put a not safe for work tag on this one. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess as far as my last words on the subject would be is I think those can make interesting role-playing possibilities, but you've got to make sure that the players 
can separate themselves from their characters. Right. And if it's something that the players themselves are not comfortable with, you really ought to just leave it out. Yeah. If I had a player that got upset enough to get up and leave the table, then we would grind things to a halt and figure it out. Yeah. That's generally a good first sign that <laughs> you know this this this, situ- this situation that comes up. The thing that irks me the most about it that I don't like is because it's so freaking heavy-handed. You know what I'm saying? Okay, I got to add that to the list. No, no, <laughs> asc- no, no ascending armor class. No baby goblins. And no testicular man. Yeah. No bad role playing. <laughs> no poor actors. Gosh, I've, I've lost count now. What a- and guys who wear green T-shirts. No, that's me. Wait a minute. <laughs> Do- Doctor Who. Wear no, green doc- no, no Doctor Who except Tom Baker. Yeah, no Doctor Who except Tom Baker. And I like Joel better than Mike. Yeah. I do too. So do I. Okay. I don't hate Mike, but... Uh, no, neither do I, but Joel, I just... Joel was superior, I think. He was funny. Yeah. So, anything else under random encounters? So... I looked uh, under every rock. I couldn't find anything. And for what it's worth, just mentioning our 2E player, Mead. Hi, Mead, who probably is not listening. Um... We don't know for sure, but we get the impression, at least the first time, she was tired of playing the character. Yeah. So wanted a rationale to have her thrown in jail so she could make up another one. Ah. And for all we know, we're going to get back, and the ranger killed the gnome for the same reason. She was tired of the character and wanted to do another one. You know? It's already her second, this campaign, and this campaign just restarted recently, so... Mm. Oh, speaking of alignments, I can just hear a little voice coming up from the bottom of the well. There's no treasure down here, you big liar. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, here's a thousand gold pieces. It's in a bag. Drop. Fool <laughs> of a took. So, anything else we want to discuss on random encounters? No, we're pretty much deep in this hole. Yeah, so. Glenn has stood up and walked out of the podcasting room on it. <laughs> yeah. Let's go into products of your imagination. Your dungeon master has placed you in a dreadfully precarious position. They're the Cheetos! They're right next to you. Well, all you do is we play the characters we talked about earlier when we run around and stuff. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. Use your lightning bolt. Victory is yours. I'm attacking the darkness. <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons games. Products of your imagination. You're not there. You're getting drunk. Products of your imagination. Yoo-hoo. This time, the product, since we're talking about role-playing, is perhaps, if not the first, certainly from the the one from the luminary of our hobby, Role-Playing Mastery by Gary Gygax, copyright 1987. Actually, Holmes's fantasy role-playing predates it. But. Yes. And uh, hero- doesn't Heroic Worlds also predate that? Don't know. I ah. heard of that one. Oh, you didn't? It was like yeah. one of my first books I had about role-playing. Oh, okay. But this is written by Gary Gygax, and it's very interesting, not only for what he says in there, but what he says in there that's slightly different than what he said back in the 70s in Dragon Magazine or in uh, the various D&D products. Well, he was older. And most of it is still relatively the same. I think, if anything, he's just kind of mellowed 
Yeah. What do you think, Jim? I I bought this book and read it when it was brand new and couldn't get through it. Uh, the, as Glenn says, the High Guy Gaxian was just too much of a chore to read, but I, I have been through it a couple of times in the intervening years. And uh, uh, the, I love the thing about Gary is he never will say in uh, 10 words what he can say in 50, but he's always right. You get to the end of it and you're like, yeah, but, 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 yeah, okay. <laughs> I still contribute that for him being an actuary in the real world. Well, but and he was very literate. He, he was very well read, and one of the things I liked not only about this book, but most of the things that Gygax wrote, particularly in the 70s and early 80s, he didn't talk down to you. No, he didn't. And as a kid, I really appreciated that. He assumed you know what he means, and you just went on. And if you didn't, you went and got a thesaurus. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I learned a lot of new words looking them up in the dictionary, going through, you know, the Holmes book, the AD&D hardbacks. It's like, wow. (laughs) Yeah, it really helped. Yeah, it didn't put me off at all. I was just excited. You mean he didn't didn't pet out the one (laughs) EDNG? What I love is to this day you can look some of the words he uses up in a thesaurus and get nothing. They're not there. Yeah. He had a, he has a better command of the language than uh, Marion Webster in place. <laughs> well, he used words that were 19th, early 20th century. Yeah. And, um, and get yourself a of, an Oxford Old English dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> actually, it's the, I, I, I may bash the high guy accent, but actually that's part of the charm of it and that's part of it. I think he did that to also kind of set the mood of the tone and the tone of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And as all the D&Ds of that era proved, you know, he said over and over again his primary influence was literature. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody thinks that you have to read to get D&D. Well, you do, except for Glenn, because he hates reading. Add that to the list. I like it. I read all the time. I read game books. I read film books. I don't read fiction very much. He watches films, and he reads books about films. He doesn't like science fiction, which was a tactical disadvantage because it allowed our fleet to sneak up on him. (laughs) No, I just, uh, it's my argument like, you know, the cinematic people keep getting the short shrift. There's a word I got from Gygax. (laughs) Anyway, go on. No shift, no sandals, no service. Um, But what I, I, I think is – I just reread through the book for the podcast, and what I think is really interesting almost as much as what he says is what he doesn't say because with all the good advice he has in there, he still doesn't ever talk about role-playing as role-playing. The book – yeah. the better title would be uh, role-playing game mastery. Yeah, he, he differentiates between role-playing and role assumption. It's still that kind of assumed thing. Right, whereas role assumption is, he, he defined it as role assumption is you're given a character to play, like in how to host a mystery or murder mystery type games or solo adventure books. But even his role playing is always in the matter of knowing how to effectively play your class. Right. right. Knowing how to effectively play your race. Knowing how to be an effective part of a, of a group. Right. And I think that's his wargaming 
uh, background showing through because, you know, effectiveness with the rules and effectiveness in play are really what's, what's pushing a lot of this book. Right. Know yeah. the rules inside out, not to be a min-maxer or a metagamer, but know them inside out so you can play your character the best you possibly can. So if he was right. the first version of The Rock, know your role. <laughs> and, yeah, and even beyond that, it's, you know, to play, how to, how to role play your magic user to him, for example. It seems his text describes how you should, you know, emphasize what spells are going to be most efficacious. Ooh, that's another word you told me. For a given day. You know, it's right. not, you know, my magic user has a pathological fear of water. Right. So, you know, and how to role play that, quote unquote, or, yeah. you know, hates th- goblins or something. I had, None I of had, that is really in the book. Well, I had a feeling that he, he stresses the technical side of what you're talking about, playing your race right, your class right, and stuff like that. And I think he figured the role playing will take care of itself. I think yes. very much it, you're absolutely correct. That was just kind of an assumed thing for those old guys. Yeah, because people did it anyway. Yeah, I mean, he sort of would go into it, you know, when he's talking about the the ten, you know, steps or you know the seventeen steps, you know, to be a master player. You know, I believe one of them was talking about, you know, role playing your character correctly. You know, you know, are your actions, you know, is your behavior faithful to the role of the PC that you have created? You know, well, that's kind of a that's kind of a catch twenty two because you created it. Yeah, that's but a, I mean, but, you know, but he was talking in in the context of a cleric. You know, if I'm right on that, Liz. Yeah, you know, or you know, separating your traits, you know, your feelings about things from what your PC would feel about the same thing. Kind of like we were talking about earlier with the guy playing the paladin. Right, yeah, right, he's, right, right. Very, he's very emphatic on that. Yeah, you know, if you you know, you personally may feel like doing this is the right thing, but if you're playing a character with an alignment that is diametrically different from, you know, you as the player, you know, you're not going to necessarily feel that this same action is right because the character is totally different. And that seems to be where he really emphasizes role play is, you know, the separation of you and your character and to be willing to do things, you know, have your character say and do things that may not be what you would personally say and do. Once again, that's, as far as I'm concerned, that's part of acting 101. Yeah. But, and, you know, a having, lot of us aren't actors, so we kind of have to have actors. I know that they have, <laughs> he has to tell us this. I understand that. Um, I can't count how, my, how many times that I've played characters on a stage that I didn't really care for. That I just, some of them I actually absolutely hated, but I did it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the same thing with role playing. You know, think about it. How would he act? How would you act? Although, speaking of, uh, how acting and changing, one of the things I was pleasantly surprised by is that Gygax talks about the duty of a DM when necessary to fudge rules. Fudge rules. Yes! Mm-hmm. Which, which is a bit at odds with his impression from the late 70s. Though he is sure to say in this book that, you know, 
you've got to keep a certain level of the rules consistent because otherwise you lack a shared experience with other gamers. There has to be a framework. Yeah, because, I mean, if you if your group plays through B2 and y'all started at first level with rolled hit points, et cetera, et cetera, and I, my group played through B2, but we started off, the DM decides to start us all off at 15th level with laser rifles, obviously we are not going to have the same shared experience of Keep on the Borderlands. Or you'll be playing with Dave Arneson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's what I meant when I said, you know, the... He's, it's interesting for me to read him because I have a knee-jerk reaction against the authoritarian phrasing of what he has to say just because it's my persona, my personality in real life, not my character. Ah, see, I made the difference. But, uh, <laughs> but, but then when you, but, but if you read through what he's writing, he's right. As pedantic and detailed and drilled down to the, every level of it as he gets, he's right about it. I mean, because he talks about, it, you, you, when do you fudge the dice? When it's for the good of the story. When it's for the good of the shared experience. Yeah, don't do it too much. You know, don't do it when you don't have to do it. But it's okay to do it sometimes. Right. Mm. You know, think about the story when, and the players. Yeah, when basically, as he puts it, that you know, players who have not done anything particularly wrong, but bad luck has just totally derailed what otherwise would be, you know, and he says the whole point is to have fun. And if that's what you have to do as a DM to keep the fun going, he's okay with that, which is kind of contradictory to some of those who think that, you know, he was a roll the die and to hell with the consequences type of person. But then again, go ahead. I was going to say, I liked how he put it, where he was saying, you know, he points out that sometimes the GM will enact punishments on players. This is kind of the other side of the coin, where by the same token, the GM can also be benevolent. You know, the GM can save you. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you guys actually played in one of his games. Was he like that in real life, where it was carrot and stick? Um, in a way... It was a tournament we were playing in. So yeah, so there was, were time constraints. Yeah, that's but, a different um, deal, isn't it? Yeah, yeah um, and he was not <laughs> pulling any punches, I thought. I got killed, so. So you got the stick. <laughs> yeah, I got the stick. Liz got the carrot. Okay. Well, uh, she <laughs> I was got a the girl. Carrot, and I was not wearing full plate armor and in a deep pool of water. <laughs> You were in a deep pool of water because that's why I jumped in there to try to I rescue know, you. I know, but I was not wearing full plate, so well, I expected I was not there to be a gradual. Like I expected there to be a gradual drop, at least for a while, before it dropped off. But it's like three inches from the edge of the water. Do hey, Mike, did you get eaten by a giant catfish? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. When you say three inches, do you mean three real inches or three real inches? inches? I mean literally one step, and the water level was chasm. There was no beach to speak well, of. That happens. That we, we got the continental shelf to prove that in real <laughs> life. So, except how far do you go into the water before that you hit the continental shelf? Uh, I say no. <laughs> I've been on the beach before where I was out like, say, oh, 20 feet. I took the next step, nothing. Well, 
I stepped one, step. one foot. <laughs> Nothing. But you know that's okay. It's you know it's the game, and that's how the th- how things happen. But I, I'm still back in the old school where inches were increments of ten feet. So I'm like thirty feet. That's not that bad. That's not bad. No, no, that would be fine. In fact, that's kind of half what I expected. But you know, hey, you know, you, anyway. you, you make your choices. You take your chances. That's okay. But I guess my point, the reason I was getting across to it was we didn't have a whole lot of time to get a real. He was really good at role playing that uh, hill giant, though. Yes, he was. Yes, with all the intellect a hill giant should have. <laughs> yeah. Want to see something cool? <laughs> oh, I'm insanely jealous. He stomps over to the pool and starts smacking things in the water until a big Cthulhu monster come up. And that was what grabbed Liz's character. And he was still hitting it with the stick, thinking, yeah. hey, this is fun. Of course, yeah, he's giant a giant. Oh, yeah, hilarious. Yeah, he's a giant. The rest of us were going, oh, ah, holy crap. I hate it when that happens. Don't you hate <laughs> it when that happens? I hate it when that happens. Me too. So. Well, the, as, the other... The other thing on the uh, uh, the player mastery was his uh, staunch encouragement to play all types and experiment, and that's something that I've never done, and I took it up, having yeah. just re- reread the book, because it's happening anyway in this Dungeon Crawl Classics campaign I'm in, because you don't get to pick what characters you play. You start out with your peasants and whoever lives, whatever stats he's got, that's what you're going to be. Does that include playing, like, a female if you're a male? No, you can you can pick alignment and gender, but uh, oh, race okay. and and stats are all just straight roles in the beginning. So That's so what girdles of masculinity, femininity are for. <laughs> <laughs> or apparently, in the old days, rooms of gender changing. Yeah, well, yeah. Or, yeah. Anyway, so uh, what was the point? Oh yeah, role play mastery. Um, how w- are we rating this? I assume so. Did anyone have anything else to say about the text? Well, he goes into a lot of things that I believe are still very, you know, relevant today, whether you are playing AD&D or BASIC or, you know, any role-playing game. Um, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier with, you know, learning the rules, and once we were comfortable with the rules, you know, role-playing just sort of fell in naturally. I think that kind of, you know, falls under what he's saying in his booklet. You know, if you know the rules and you're familiar with them and you understand, it's a lot easier for you to do the role-playing and to have fun. Right. Yeah. Because the playing of the class or the part of the party is become second nature. Mm-hmm. That was awesome how you tied that all together. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> that's, why, that's why we have her on the show. Well, it had to be some reason. Jim's a suck-up. Anyway. <laughs> it's, it's, that's it's, why we have Jim on the show. <laughs> Sucking up is not beneath me. <laughs> know your role and you do it well. <laughs> that's his role in the party. <laughs> on the podcast. Anyway. But he All talks right, this, about a lot of things, you know. Yeah, he does. He even talks about different genres, and he points out how it's important to understand the genre that you're playing in. And and he mentions films, Glenn. Of course he does. As they, we, have, as they, have to, they have to throw a bone. 
<laughs> yeah, if anybody's thinking of uh, finding a copy of this book and reading it, you should know it. He doesn't limit the text to fantasy games at all. I no. mean, there's a, there's a lot of talk about it, but he talks about all other genres of gaming. Mm-hmm. Now, when he does examples, it's dated to 1987, okay. so he tends to mention games that were around in the t- at the era. Like for espionage, he mentions Top Secret. Or and, Traveler. Or... And Double o- uh, Victory Games is 007. Well, that was around then, huh? That's right. Yeah. Um, et cetera, et cetera. That was a pretty good, that's a pretty good game, actually, right here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never, never played it. Uh-huh. I always played either Top Secret or more likely I just took Traveler and just said nothing above Tech 5 and boom, it's an espionage modern game. Uh, uh, sneaky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I already had Traveler. But, um, yeah, it's got some good stuff in it. It's still very useful. In fact, I would, I would say for learning, now, I would say if you're wanting to learn how to be a better thespian to role play characters. That's not the book. Perspective, this isn't the book for you. But if you want to be, if you want to learn how to be a GM, you know, he's got some good tips. He talks about the different kinds of groups that you might encounter, some of the problems you could run into, things that you would try to do to, you know, nip the problems in the bud, you know, and, you know, it's a lot of good stuff that if you're feeling uncomfortable, you've never run a game before, but you're thinking you might want to try it, but you're not sure, you know, yeah. go read the book. He's He's got some, some good stuff that might make you feel a little more prepared. You want some advice on how maybe to prep for a convention or a tournament, or you've got a problem player in your group who's, you know, cheating or, you know, causing trouble to the other players or something, and you're unsure how to deal with him, he gives advice for that, too. Or a, a DM who's, you know, lording it over everyone and trying to kill everybody, and or worse, only killing some of the PCs but not others. Well, I, I know on Facebook all the time there'll be a post of my campaign blew up and or these players are causing problems and I don't know why. This book will answer a lot of those questions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's been a problem. Those have been problems from day one. Yeah. It's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. So, yeah, it's a good book. If you can find it, it's got some good info in it. It is a bit dry reading. Um, but if you're okay with that, you're okay with big words, it's certainly worth the money. I think it's still available for sale, isn't it? Through Gail Gygax? Probably, um, and I've seen, I think I've seen a copy or two at uh, half price at one time. Yeah. Amazon carries them, so, you know, mm. you can easily get a copy. Now, here we're gonna go as a product, as a book, format, layout, etc. It's a book. Book. Twenty six ninety five on Amazon right now. Yikes! There you go. <laughs> As opposed to what forty five bucks for a one e reprint, or or eight bucks at half price books. <laughs> if you can find it there. Yeah. Some I'm, of us don't live at half price books like you do, Glenn. I have a knack. Okay, I have a. <laughs> I have a gift. Okay. Oh, I bet the staff know you by your first name by now. Nope. Look, it's Glenn. Hey, Glenn. <laughs> Norm. Norm, exactly. Yeah. If I had all the gas I spent getting those. Anyway. 
So, product for the layout and art types. It's a book. It's good layout. It's clear, easy to read. No pictures. No pictures, no fancy typefaces or anything, but it's a good, solid structure. <laughs> and you've got some cute little, you know, icons of heraldic lines and stuff for the, you know, chapter heads and things like that. So, you know, they try to jazz it up a bit. So that's what keeps causing trouble when I scan for Probably. chapter headers. <laughs> Get some weird wad of garbage there. What is that? Oh, okay. <laughs> the Knee of the Llama, Chapter 5. <laughs> Not even that cogent. <laughs> Chapter one. <laughs> Jim? Uh, am I reading it for dragons? If you want to start, but yeah, I'm just asking general feedback on it from an artist layout type person. I mean, typical trade paperback layout from the yeah. 80s. It's perfectly legible. I don't have any trouble reading it, even Soft with my back. old eyes. Softback. Yeah. Softback. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose, uh, you know, as a kid, I picked it up and went, oh, no pictures, you know, but as an adult, uh, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, so it's a coffee table book. It's, well, it's very textbook-like. I mean, if you were teaching a college course in how to role-play, this would be your textbook. Yes. And it was published by Peregrine Books, which is part part of Publi- Putnam, Putnam Publishing. <laughs> so it's not a TSR book, no. But yeah, good, solid, professional layout, no mm-hmm. problems. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, since we're on at you anyway, Jim, how many dragons would you give it? Uh, I'll go with four. Okay. Liz? I think, yeah, I'd probably agree with Jim. I would give it, I would give it four dragons as well. Um, as we have said beforehand, you know, it's a little bit dated now. The information is still solid, but, you know, as you pointed out, Mike, a lot of his examples deal with games that are no longer in print and that might be a either a turnoff or you know just a source of confusion to brand new play, brand new readers who would pick up the book. Um, but no, I yeah, would it's, that, it's still solid. Though hmm. no, I would say myself, I think I don't think this book was actually written for brand new people. No, that's, uh, that's for the just audience. a guess on my part. I mean, well, I don't mean brand new as in never played before, but oh, okay. you know. New readers who say are maybe 20 years old today and have no experience or, you know, very little experience with a lot of the games that he may be referring to in his examples. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to give it three and a half. I still think it's good. It's very useful and I recommend it. I do think it's a little dated. It would be really great if Ernie or Luke Kygax could re-release it with an update. Yeah. Maybe some new um, new examples, more contemporary games. I think it could be really very useful nowadays. Yeah. But in its current state, it's a good three and a half. Oh. Are you going to grade it, Glenn? I'd give it three. 
First of all, wow. first of all, it's Gygax. From what little I read, first of all, it's Gygax. <laughs> from what little we read, <laughs> the, no. the title page. I no. give it a fu- three. No, I, I that table of contents was awesome. <laughs> I actually got through the first chapter, but first of all, it's Gygax. So you know, it's always it's going to pique my interest right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, he still is kind of got that, you know. He's not in the way. First of all, at this point in time, I believe Gygax was out of TSR, right? Yes. Okay. So if this was written in the heyday of, like, say, 1E and, you know, Dragon, I think he would have been a little more rigid on as far as, like, you must role play this way. This is how you do it, one, two, three, four, five, because that was then, and he was a TSR, and they were trying to sell books or whatever. But I noticed this is a man, he's relaxed that a lot, and I appreciate that because he he just comes off as, like, kind of conversational at one point with still the big words, um, more willing to, like, bend some of that stuff, and just somebody who's like, okay, I'm not in this crazy place anymore, so I can actually step back, look at role-playing, what it's all about, and tell you how I think you should do it. So I appreciate that, and that's why I give it three three dragons. Okay. Um, so what made it a three and not a four? I get Gaxian. Okay. I just I I didn't hear any negatives there, so I was well, like, okay, I, I, well, I, I did all my negatives up front. Okay. <laughs> I already told you that. All right, so that averages out to about a three point six. Yeah. So, get your copy today. Yeah, three point six. All you people with the abacuses out there. <laughs> it would have been weird your- if it if it had been three point five. <laughs> oh yeah, or six point nine. Or something. Something. <laughs> All you people figure out the map while we head well, down the road. Yeah, uh, give us a give us a drop a drop by you know on saverdie at gmail dot com. Saverdie podcast at gmail. Thank you, Saverdie podcast. I'm pretty yeah. sure I said some stupid stuff, so send us an email about it. Yeah, or the number, whatever it is. I'm sure you've got some. All of you have some opinions about how to handle alignment, how to handle baby orcs and werewolf puppies, and why I'm wrong about something this time. (laughs) And Liz isn't. Because Liz is never wrong, right, Liz? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So how are you heading down the road, Liz? I am heading down the road kicking a werewolf puppy into a a flaming chasm. Oh, oh boy! How about you, Jim? Uh, me and Did my Liz party. Steal yours? No, no, no. Me and my party of nine characters, one for each alignment, <laughs> are are scouring the dungeon for a goblin baby to argue over. Glenn? Yeah. Well, my D, my DM is running in front of me, and I just sicked all the baby orcs and goblins on him. Exactly. So I'm just I'm just walking along, smiling and laughing. I am headed down the road reading Role Playing Mastery to see exactly how bad an alignment violation killing gnomes would be. <laughs> and is it one at all? Anyway. <laughs> I guess it's time to go, huh? Yeah. 
Thanks for listening, everybody. Good night, everybody. See you on the other side of episode 70. Yep. See you next time. Bye-bye. Free arc. The Save or Die podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with d20radio.com. The Save or Die theme is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. This podcast is produced for entertainment purposes only. All other uses are prohibited. Nine out of ten DMs surveyed recommend this podcast for their players who listen to podcasts. Listening to podcasts over four hours in length is not normal, and you should consult a physician or at least a damn good psychiatrist. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Save or Die.